This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Friday to you. You did it. You did it. Hey, the gang's all gathered together. Jeff Simpson, Terry South. Uh, we couldn't be more honored. Good morning. Wow. Uh, than to uh, be spending your Friday morning with you. You did it. I'm so proud of you. I didn't know. I. By the way, we'll get into it. I almost died. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Mm, yeah, kind of. I mean, it was a really good chance I could have died. I mean, you or your ankle? No, me. Well, I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but my ankle is with me everywhere I go. That's true. Yeah. It was a scary. Uh, yeah. I was walking. I take my walk. I call it just my break. Right after the show, I like to go for a little walk. Okay. So I was on my walk. I had walked about three miles. Yeah. And um, Wait, three? Three. Come on. I walk about three and a half miles, 3.47 miles. Hmm. And I'm just I'm – on, I'm on coming up like the home stretch almost, right? And crossing the street, a, a, a very busy street, very busy. And I'm walking across the street, and I look over at the lady in a car, and we get we catch eyes, and I I smile, and she smiles. Then I look back as I'm about about two steps away from the curb, and <laughs> I uh, I hit um, I hit a, a, a what are they called? I hit a hole in the road. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Maybe it was karma. Maybe you shouldn't have been looking at this woman. Well, no, it was like a friendly, hey, good to be a human with you look. I love those good to be a human exchanges. But she kind of distracted me, I guess. I hit this this pothole, just a little pothole, twisted my ankle, and I started going down. My body's going down and my brain's like, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going down. <laughs> so I'm trying to I'm trying to not go down, but my body's like, no, we're go- gravity, we're taking the whole thing down. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It was bad. One of my favorite comedians is he's talking about gravity. He's like, do you ever feel like sometimes gravity just says, hey, come here a second. (laughs) Oh, gravity. (laughs) Gravity did that to me. It was a really weird. I mean, I don't know what. I've been here five and a half years at BYU. I've I've taken this walk a thousand times at least. Really? And uh, never had this happen. Hmm. But you know what I learned? This is a really important lesson for You're a lot of old? people. No. Well, My, you are. I have very dainty ankles. Dainty ankles, Townsend. <laughs> it's your high school have, name, wasn't it? It's actually this – is, this isn't the first time this happened. This has happened about four times because it's my ankles. My ankles are very – I've got grandma's ankles. You've got grankles. Yeah. And I, I went down like a ton of bricks. And then there's that moment when you're on the ground kind of all spread out all over the crosswalk that you think, well, I better get up or I'm going to get hit by a car. <laughs> and then your brain, my the kind of the male ego in me is like, you look like an idiot. Just pretend like that didn't happen. Just pop right up and keep walking. I didn't even dare look back at the lady. What do you, what do you say? She was probably laughing. I bet she was startled. Really? Yeah. So I'm wearing a foot brace now. 
I'll be, oh, it hurts every time I twist. If I twist, if you twist, mm. yeah, I, I'm. It's probably broken. I mean, um, it's broken. I mean, I'm, I'm able to walk on it and everything. I'm guessing it's not. Uh, are you a doctor? No. Okay, who's the doctor in the room? Would you really be able to walk on it if it was broken? Probably. If I mean, when you're a stud, you're a stud. You know. Hmm. So, I mean, people play with broken ankles. I don't know what. Tanner Mangum's problem is. Yeah, are we going to see him tonight? I don't know. You better. You're going to the game. Uh, I'm starting to second-guess my decision. No, don't. Don't. There, the, 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 I think it was ESPN or Sports Illustrated uh, rated the – they kind of predicted the scores of every one of the games, and they said BYU is going to lose by like 20-something points. See, I, I told you during the break, wow. I'm, miss, I'm, missing game, I'm missing game one of the Dodgers playoffs. Yeah. Uh, I have to go to extreme measures to park as close to the stadium as I can, and I'm going to a stadium with a team that can't win. Maybe, maybe can't win. That's, Allegedly. That's full of food that I can't eat. Oh, but just try. You can have a little bit. There's going to be some fruit in there somewhere. Hey, have one of those cougar tails. Uh, that's probably one of the worst things I could have. Well, no. I'll probably just come with my own little bag of sunflower seeds or peanuts and maybe a vitamin water. They don't allow outside food in the venue. So, Well, they're Especially, not going to be checking where I'm going to be hiding you're it. You're strategically parking, so you may want to strategically hide you, some food. Do you want to borrow, plant it in the stadium under my right, seat. Do, that. <laughs> do you want to borrow my, um, my brace, my ankle brace? Oh, that's an idea. Just okay. bring a purse. So you have you know extra... A man purse. Well, a purse, yeah. Bring one of those and just say, hey, I have needs. Well, what? maybe I'll just have a front bum tonight. <laughs> Yeah, you know, what you could say is when they say, "Is that is that is that a purse?" No, you say, "No, it's a merce. It's for my seeds." Seriously, though, they're not it's going. It's your support merce. Yeah, they're not do- going to get on my case if I say it's it's just a front bum. Yeah, they will. No, I'll yeah. say that's. A, I'm offended. No, I'm offended. I'll take you to court. <laughs> just say, don't say anything. Just <laughs> just go to the game. It's going to be a great game. There's a really there is there's because their home team. So home team usually gives you what three point advantage, supposedly a three point advantage. Sure. If you're I mean, gambling. not a three point advantage, but a three that, point that's, gain. That's not like on the field. That that is something they do when they're trying to figure out how to wager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On so the that's, game, but so, well, except except it's not proven that you automatically just because you're a home you have an advantage. It's it's like people well, in Las Vegas trying to figure out how they're going to take money from people. No, that's but what that's a lot. Well, hmm. but it's also psychologically you do gain about. Three points. But if you're okay. already going to lose by 27, then it's just it doesn't matter. You're only going to lose by 24 because right. you're at home. Sure. I'm probably just going to be checking the Dodgers score the whole game. You know what they will? I'm sure the I'm sure the Cougars, BYU Cougars, will feel a lot better looking up in the stands with you with your man purse. Like there's eating sunflowers. He's got a man purse. <laughs> that'll that'll probably push him over the edge. We're doing knowing it for that you him. parked six miles away. No, I just parked across the street so yeah, that I could have a quick getaway that's vehicle. Sweet. That's so sweet. It really is. That's smart. Hmm. I was wondering where you were parked. Yeah. Yeah. What, anyway. You already parked? Oh, yeah. So it's just it's just in this parking lot just at the very northwest corner as close to the stadium as he's possible. Also, he's already set up his seat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's got his blanket. Tailgating folded. starts at 10. It's, at an eight, it's an 8.30 game, right? Who's going to watch your children? Um, a neighbor across the street. 12.30. We'll probably leave early. Yeah. 
Well, why? As I said, quick well, getaway. Unless it's a close game. No. We'll, well still you... leave. We've heard the stories about people getting home at like 2 in the morning. Yeah, but Terry just you. shared one yeah, the other that, week. Terry yeah. lives well, an it, hour that, away. That was my in-laws trying to get back to Bountiful, which is yeah. like huh. 50, you'll be 60 fine. miles away. You've already got a car, and then you'll have another car, and you'll have, yeah. So I'm, I'm really only saving one leg of the trip because— Don't say leg, please. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Because my leg kills. Because I will have to take—I'll have to drop my wife off in her car and then go park that car way out in no man's land and then walk back to the stadium myself. Which is Orem. That's no man's land. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, but wait. maybe I'll bring my bike. Hold it. That's your problem. 50 degrees at kickoff, by the way. You may not want to park where you parked. Uh-oh. Why? Because you have to go—you parked, so you're going to have to pass the stadium on your way out. You yeah, should but probably park on the like other I, side of the stadium. Like I said, we're going to leave early, like maybe after third quarter. Well, the, hold on. That might be when everyone's leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I guess depending on what the score is, yeah. But uh, we don't want to be negative because they may win. There's that. There's always a chance. It's just Boise State. That's why That's why you just watch at home and then you have that's to right. worry about traffic. That's exactly why. Because I mean. either way, you can still flip back on in the fourth quarter and go, yep, I knew it. Or, wow, look at that. Is it on ESPN? Yeah. Sweet. Unlike that one time when it was on a channel you would have had if you didn't cut your cable. I didn't even cut my cable. You still don't have it? I must have, like, thinned out my packages. What kind of no-frills television cable package did you buy? Well, I think we have the Kardashian package. Is that what it is? We can get everything Kardashian but no sports. Heavy on fashion, light on sports? Yeah. So you really think that they could win? Yeah. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah, one in a million. Yeah! It's one in a million chance. Hmm. It's actually, it, this isn't even the hard game. No, right? that's... Next week's the hard game. Harder. Yeah. This is just Boise State. There's probably going to be just as many Boise State fans as BYU fans. Yeah, it's not that far. Boise State's a great team. Yeah. But can they play as well on green grass? Doubt yeah. it. Doubt it. They have in the past. Oh, okay. It's a different team this year, Matt. Oh, okay. Not quite so up to their BYU. standards. Yeah. Not quite up to their standards. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, uh, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What's going on around the rest of the country? President Trump on Thursday night delivered a cryptic message to the press warning of the calm before the storm while taking photos with military leaders and their spouses following a meeting at the White House. The unprompted warning led to several follow-up questions to which Trump only replied, you'll find out. Now, he's sitting there with a bunch of generals and their wives. They just had a dinner, and they're in a ballroom taking a photo. And he looks at the media, and he goes, do you know what this is? And he points to all these military leaders, and he goes, this is the calm before the storm. And you're like, uh, what does that mean? I think it's because uh, the Nathan tropical storm's coming up. Or these guys can tell people to start dropping bombs? Or what are we saying? We don't know. I mean... <laughs> Not a good joke. Not a, no. Especially, by the way, not a good joke like this week. Exactly. This month. Plus, not a, good, not a yeah. good joke. White House Chief of Staff John Kelly reportedly tried to contain President Trump's anger on Wednesday over the report that Secretary of State Rex Tillerson called Trump a moron and considered resigning. According to NBC News, Trump was about to fly to Las Vegas to meet with victims of the, uh, the mass shooting. 
He was furious when he heard the report and spent two hours venting to his chief of staff, John Kelly. The president was so enraged, Kelly decided not to go to Las Vegas, stayed behind to attempt some sort of damage control. Kelly reportedly summoned Tillerson and Defense Secretary James Mattis to the White House. The NBC report described Vice President Pence as fuming because Tillerson's top spokesperson had said that Pence once privately questioned the value of Nikki Haley as U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. Uh-oh. And Pence doesn't want to be included in anything. Hey, 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 keep me out of this. <laughs> keep me out of this. So this is more of just the behind-the-scenes oh, stuff that comes out, yeah. but it's fun to read. Well, unless you like your country. Do you think it's important? <laughs> do you think it's important that the Secretary of State may have called the president a moron in front of a bunch of witnesses, and now that's coming out? No. Well, if it's true, maybe. His lack of a deny of a denial, saying no, I did not call him a moron. He said I don't get no, into petty things. No, he would. He, I mean, I think we've even heard he didn't call him a moron. He called him something else. Well, moron. yeah, it was more descriptive. Come yeah. on, haven't you called your coworkers some some not so nice names before? No, the coworker really? isn't the leader of the free world. Uh, that's the title. Yeah, I don't know if he's actually embracing hmm. that. Don't say brace. Embracing. Okay, because I have a brace on It's my different. Head. President Trump plans to back out of the Iran nuclear deal later this week ahead of the October 15th deadline to certify if Tehran is complying with the terms. People familiar with the decision told the Washington Post. Iran agreed in 2015 deal with the U.S., Russia, China, and three European powers, including Germany, to curb its nuclear program in order to protect against new sanctions. In April and June, Trump reluctantly certified that Iran is still meeting the terms. President has long been a critic of the deal, and Trump's announcement tentatively planned for October 12th, according to the report. Everyone that advises Trump has said in the media that they believe that Iran is complying with the terms of the deal. Uh, uh, Trump, for some reason, doesn't want to extend the deal. Yeah, well, he and Iran he, is confused. He said he wouldn't. Iran is confused because all the stuff coming out of the U.S. is acting like the deal is uh, like bilateral between the U.S. and Iran, and not these other. Other. Five countries that right. are involved in the negotiations. Oh, those guys? And the other countries are like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know yeah. how long it took us to get a deal on the table? But he's saying they're not living it. They're breaking it. But every report, every advisor, everyone yeah. says they are. He's saying without ever going and he looking at it. He promised you know, his people he would repeal it or whatever they I know, but there's no reason to. Well, and, there's, and it, might be, it might not be legal to repeal. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. The National Rifle Association on Thursday issued a statement that the organization believes certain modifying devices that allow a semi-automatic gun to function as a fully automatic weapon, like the bump stock used by the Las Vegas shooter, should be subject to additional regulations. The statement does not call for specific legislation on bump stocks, however, instead reiterating its commitment to promoting a national right-to-carry uh, reciprocity law, which they say would help Americans to defend themselves. The so-called bump stock device modifies some automatic rifles so that the bullets fire at an increased speed and the weapon moves back and forth in the shooter's grip, causing it to work like a fully automatic weapon. Experts say this actually decreases the gun's accuracy, makes it less safe. So it's interesting the NRA doesn't seem to feel like this is something they want to fight. Wow. Just let this one go. Hey, there's a victory. Or is it? Well, okay, so what good is the thing for if it decreases accuracy, yeah. increases velocity of firing, mm-hmm. and um, and the NRA is against it, I guess, enough to just throw it under the bus. Right. So why does anybody need it? Because it's cool to shoot a lot of bullets. Hmm. Okay. So is this like the fluorescent? Yeah. 
Okay. This is the bis- This is the baseball card on your bicycle. Oh yeah. Sounds cool. Doesn't do anything. Until yeah, yeah. Until you lose the clothespin. And the people that built it said, "Well, people want to feel like they're shooting an automatic weapon." So yeah, there's no reason. Okay. Um, and finally, I'm. Uh, I'll start with this thing. I'm. I've been sitting on this story mm-hmm. for a while. I'm not going to stand for is it that, anymore. Is that why it's so warm? No, it's kind of flat. Okay. A piece of paper here. Um, but the study researchers analyzed and surveyed seven thousand people who worked fifteen hours a week or more and analyzed their occupations to determine how long they would spend sitting, standing, or walking. They found that guys who mainly stand all day at their jobs, say standing behind a counter all day at the bank or behind cash registers at a store, are twice as likely to have heart disease than guys who mainly sit. <laughs> the reason for that increased heart risk is actually pretty simple, says Peter Smith, Ph.D., lead author of the study. When you're standing for a prolonged period of time, the blood tends to pool in your legs, and it's hard for your heart to pump that blood back up to the rest of your body, uh-huh. and that can in- increase your risk of heart yes. disease. Hold yes. on. Wait a minute. Ron Hager has came in here and said we were sitting ourselves to death. Ever since then, I've stood up. For yeah, the entirety right. of the show, three hours. That's why your legs are so pooled with blood. That's why your leg, your but they're calves are huge. They're buff. So standing all day, which can put your body in an uncomfortable position for a prolonged period of time, can also increase oxidative stress, a process that can damage cells in your body and increase inflammation. <laughs> Again, not good for your heart. Wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. Can I stand for three hours and then sit for the rest of the day? Is that okay? I mean, sure, if you want to die. I mean, whatever. So he says there's no need to ditch your standing desk, which I'd just like to point out none of us have. Well, we, Marcus. We, we, but my wife. Yeah. Marcus does. My wife has one. Does she? She doesn't use it. She's like, eh, I'm tired. I, but I like the standing desk because you can elevate it so you can sleep under it. You can oh, get yeah, more, yeah. It gives you, you more, more stuff underneath. More head clearance. Yeah, I yeah, hate yeah. hitting my head on my desk. One of the things about standing desks is that they enable people to be able to stand when they feel uncomfortable sitting and vice versa. I think the key here is that workers have the flexibility to be able to move their bodies when they want to. So make your workday, he gives kind of a workday goal. The study found that workers who did a combination of sitting, standing, and walking had about 40% reduced risk of heart, heart disease compared to those who, sat, who uh, stood all day. So there you go. You just so, have to do standing and sitting. It's a mix. And we've had people on the show yeah. that did a, if you're going to sit for 30 minutes, then you need to go walk for 10 minutes. And Don't they gave go us walking. Like, Don't the, go walking. They gave us like a whole hour. <laughs> Don't do uh, it. So in other words, every 30 minutes, get up and walk around a little Shh, bit. Don't walk. Are you traumatized? Yeah. Well, I've outdied. Should we skip? Don't. Saunter? No. Shuffle? I found the only pothole <laughs> on Provo, on BYU campus. No, that can't be true. I'm pretty sure. There's got to be more. They just repaved all the roads around here, and I found the one pothole. Actually, it found me. Hmm. Don't walk. I like sitting now. I'm not. And there was a witness. Oh, there was a witness. Did they clap? she's traumatized. Did they clap? I I don't know. I didn't look at her after I turfed it. They're like, yeah, good job. This was a fellow good to be a human, you said? we We gave the fellow, hey, fellow traveler in the journey of life, look. Yeah, that's a weird look. I'll never do it again because it took my eye off the ball. Mm. Your situational awareness was compromised. Totally. There you go. And I stepped in the hole and it twisted my dainty little ankle. Is this a metaphor for something else that's going on? Probably. But mm. what it, what's really going on is now I have a brace on my ankle that makes me feel like my foot's going numb. So now I'm sitting here thinking which one of you is going to have to help me take my shoe off and brace up. Hmm. I don't know why you think that's our responsibility. I don't point. see it as a responsibility. I see it as an opportunity. Really? Wow. 
Well, Look, I even scratched my hand. Mm. Because I was holding my phone. By the way, Well, that's just because you need to trim your nails. My phone didn't get hurt at all. Good. That's really what's the important part of the story. I took, your my, phone body, my body took the hit, not my phone. That was the first thing you be. checked, too, after you fell, wasn't no, it? No, as I was falling, my, my brain said, take care of the baby. So tuck and roll. Tuck so and roll. I, 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 didn't, I didn't tuck. You didn't tuck? I, that's the first part of the roll. No. Oh. But I did roll kind of my ankle. Like out of the pothole I, you fell into. <laughs> yeah, so. I slowly <laughs> unwound my ankle out of the pothole. Anyway, sorry to keep beating a dead horse, but um, when you're on, you know, you're a monster. When you're when you're on the road, flailing with cars that could almost start up because they're still at a red light, it's a bad situation. But it did remind me that hey, I'm getting old. You could have just asked us; we would have told you that. And I got grandma's ankles, Nana's ankles, actually, crinkles. Good stuff, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you how to uh, helping you learn how to fall like a man. <laughs> right here on BYU Radio. How do you you raise a child in a world with so much violence? We hear of terror attacks, school shootings, the Las Vegas shooting uh, that we we just went through last week or this week. What is the best way to approach your children about these situations and how is violence affecting them? A few months ago, I spoke with Dr. Dan Flannery, the director of the Bagan Center for Violence Prevention Research and Education at Case Western Reserve University. I began the interview by asking if our kids are exposed to more violence than we were when we were kids. Well, I do think that um, with the advent of social media over the last five to ten years, you know, our children are being exposed to more things um, on a daily basis than we used to be. Even if it's um, sort of what they see on television, you know, for us it used to be shows like Combat and, um, you know, you had three or five channels. Right. Um, You know, now they're on their uh, phones uh, on the Internet uh, watching not only, you know, sort of regular mainstream television but cable, et cetera. So just the level of the exposure to different things, not only in their immediate environments, but, you know, certainly things that are going on around the world, uh, that exposure these days, I think, is much more immediate, much more intense, and sort of much more pervasive than what we grew up with. Oh. And again, it's uh, I've had my own kids ask questions like, so is this ever going to happen here, Dad? I mean, I, I was worried about this. I remember when Elizabeth Smart was kidnapped. And my children, because we live in Salt Lake where that took place, it became such a scary thing for them. How do we do – we, do we protect them? I mean, or is this just a part of life? Well, there's a balance there, right? I mean, you want, um, you want to reassure your children, especially when they're younger, um, that you're doing everything that you can and the other adults in their lives, their teachers and police officers and others – are there to, you know, make things safe for them and to make sure that they're okay, but that, you know, bad things do sometimes happen in the world. And it's, uh, it's tough when things are happening more uh, seemingly at random and sort of more uh, everywhere. You know, things can occur in a shopping mall or in a school or in an airport. So there is this balance between, you know, reassuring them and also saying, hey, you know, we also need to be vigilant and aware of what's going on around us. But, 
you know, there are simple things you can do. There's no rule that says your child needs to sit and watch the daily you know, the <laughs> evening news every night. Right. And and especially if they're uh, upset by that or disturbed by that or showing, you know, that it makes them anxious or um, is sort of depressing, you know, then, then you can monitor those things for your children and, and put some limits on those exposures. Talk to us about what it what violence and and their a child's view of uh, of violence what does it do to their mental health how does it actually impact them well there's there we do have evidence that you know children that are exposed to violence over a longer period of time you know even even in the past year um, as witness or as victims you know those kids do report uh, more significant symptoms of things like uh, anxiety and depression or high levels of anger, you know, generally around their mental health. So it, we used to think that it was really only the sort of most serious incidents or the most um, significant forms of victimization that were a problem. But what we're really seeing is that when you combine sort of all of this stuff on a daily basis, that they're exposed to, some kids are more vulnerable than others, and this can kind of accumulate over time. So we see really elevated levels of anger, for example, among kids that say that they're, you know, being bullied regularly, or kids that say that, um, you know, in their neighborhoods and in their schools, they see a lot of uh, violence, even if they're not directly victimized themselves. So from a mental health perspective, you have to start wondering about or at least being concerned about and being aware of the potential cumulative effects of these on, on their mental health and their behavior. And we're learning more and more about brain development, for example, and the way that these sorts of chronic exposures and victimizations can impact the sort of neurochemistry and um, functioning of the brain. So that's more of a concern for us, too. As they're, as they're experiencing it, you're saying their anger goes up. Um, do they tend to act out more? Do they tend to act out more violently because they've experienced violence? Well, not everybody does, but that's certainly uh, a risk factor, right, for kids that are vulnerable and have other concerns going on. So it's not as if every child who's exposed to these things and watches a lot of violence in the media is going to go out and act on those feelings. Uh, but there is some evidence that when you combine you know, this sort of stuff with other kinds of risk factors and that anger gets thrown in there, that over time, if somebody's exposed to a lot of violence or victimized by a lot of violence, those two things do increase the risk that a young person will actually go out and, and act aggressively or violently towards someone else. Hmm. It's almost like they're, they're learning that violence is it's just a way of getting what you want or it, it's just another way. Well, there, there's certainly that, and there's certainly that, you know, violence is just uh, aggressive and violent behavior is just sort of a part of daily normal life, and uh, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, it's either a, a way to cope, it's a way to get along, everybody does it. Um, you know, you sort of lose that sense of empathy when someone is hurt or needs to be helped. So we see some of that evidence that kids that grow up, particularly in violent neighborhoods, if you will, that that's just sort of normal for them. Mm. That's, they're kind of desensitized to the whole thing and that violence is just a part of their daily lives. So that, you know, you become concerned over time again that as they grow up to be young adults or, and adults in our community, do they have that sort of same feeling that's just sort of been socialized over many, many years mm -hmm. for them. I just read a study about police officers somewhere that I think it's like one in four police officers suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. Sure. And I mean, it, it makes sense. They're around violence all the time. 
That's right. It's the same sort of thing. And when we do training with police officers, which we do around the country, we talk about their own, you know, potential for traumatic stress symptoms and the things that they're exposed to every day, just like the people, the young people and the adults that they interact with every day. So there is this sort of numbing, kind of psychic numbing that can occur. Uh, this sort of, again, uh, this is just what happens every day, uh, along with the sort of automatic reactions to these things that, uh, you know, you can kind of get into when this is what you see every day. Yeah. So it, it, it affects not only our young people, but yeah, as, as you say, our first first responders. And as we say about our police officers, they're now our kind of first social responders because they're the ones who are on the front lines sort of recognizing some of these things in people. And when somebody really needs help, you know, they're often the ones who can, can make that recommendation for people to get the help they need. We hear a lot lately, too, about um, suicide rates going up in teens. Is, is, you think, is there any correlation to hurting themselves, to harming themselves um, because of just more violence, more, I guess, more of a, a desensitization to violence? I'm not sure that young people are hurting themselves because they're desensitized to violence. I think there is some evidence that really young children, you know, five, six, seven, and eight, don't really have that understanding of the finality of death. And, you know, hurting themselves has a, you know, there's a finality to that. Yeah. And I think there's some evidence that very young children sort of cognitively, intellectually don't really get that. Well, among adolescents, it really is uh, a combination of sort of their mental health generally. Um, if they're experiencing a particular crisis, you know, a breakup or something, some kids report, you know, being bullied and being victimized. It's really a constellation of factors that kind of lead someone to that point um, of taking that significant act. So I, I'm not, you know, again, it's sort of you throw it in the pot mm-hmm. as one of many things that are going on, and it's it's like that little kid who's building uh, a tower of blocks with those wooden blocks. You know, some kids can build a really tall tower before it topples over. And some kids, you know, two or three blocks in, that tower topples over. So some kids can handle a lot of things and are fairly resilient. And other kids, uh, it doesn't take much to sort of make them feel like they, you know, they don't have another way out. Right. And, uh, they have trouble coping with things. So, but but I guess it, I guess the the main point too is just to remember it's impacting, right? However, whether little drips that eventually cause explosions, for many of these kids, that there is a, there's a correlation to some to some mental health issues, more anxiety, maybe more depression, because of uh, either I guess in you know. Uh, living violence in their lives or just media watching of violence? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good message is that um, it matters. <laughs> you know, this, right. this sort of stuff can be a factor and it's not no big deal. It, just because it's different now than it was 10 or 20 years ago, I think we can't take the attitude of you just got to figure it out and deal with it because that's just the world we live in these days. That's certainly a reality for us as parents and caregivers and, you know, people in the helping professions that you got to kind of figure that out. But the the challenge is there's no sort of checklist or profile or um, set of things going on that you can draw that sort of straight solid arrow to if this is what's happening for a young Mm. person, this is what the outcome's going to be. So I do think it's just important to say, hey, look, when with this sort of thing going on, whether it's the day-to-day stuff that our kids are exposed to or the things that are now 
seemingly going on around our country and around the world all the time, that kids are exposed to this. They need to process it. They need to understand it. They need to continue to feel safe. We need to balance that you know, perception versus reality, as you mentioned at the beginning. We can throw out the numbers and say you know, your risk of being a victim of violence is still pretty low historically, but that doesn't um, afford you the escape from the notion that you, you don't feel very safe when something happens in your own community or at a school in your city or uh, to someone you know. Yeah, and you, uh-huh. need, and you need to jump on it, it seems like, to, to make sure if something has happened that you're also paying even extra attention after the fact as well. Uh, we're speaking with Dr. Daniel Flannery. Daniel is the director of the Bagan Center for Violence Prevention, Research, and Education at uh, the Case Western University or Case Western Reserve University. We uh, will return to the conversation in just a minute. When we come back, we'll be talking about the impact of media and the, the exposure to media, along with just um, what else we can do as parents to make sure. We're safeguarding our children, making sure that they are safe and that they have a a fair shot as they deal with what seems like a more violent world that they're uh, coming up in. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about how witnessing violence in its many forms, uh, you know, live and in person or on television, on the Internet, through social media, through news outlets, through video games, how it is impacting your children's mental health, folks. And it's it's not doing a lot of good. Joining us is Dr. Daniel Flannery. He's the director of the Bagan uh, Center for Violence Prevention Research and Education at uh, Case Western Reserve University, and we're honored to have you. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Flannery. No problem. This, uh, the, the, the exposure to violence, it seems to be going up more. Again, the world we keep hearing, uh, not the world, but the, the United States is supposedly safer. Violent crimes down in a lot of places, still up, I guess, in some big cities. But we ought to be feeling a little safer. And yet our children, if they're seeing more violence through the media exposure, they must be thinking the world's falling around them. Yeah, again, you got to put this in a little bit of historical context that, you know, even 20 years ago, it was difficult for us to really hear about things going on in other parts of the country, let alone other parts of the world, you know, we had to wait to the newspaper to come out the next morning and that's your exposure to it. You know, you could sort of limit your child's exposure to the information, um, you know, by monitoring sort of, again, they're watching the evening news or they went to bed before the news or they didn't read the paper. Um, So they weren't exposed to as much that was going on. And even when they were, it was rather limited. But, you know, nowadays they're on social media nearly 24 hours a day and multiple forms of media 24 hours a day, whether they're on their phones while they're watching Netflix or they're, you know, have the TV on while they're on the internet, while they're on their phone. Yeah. You know, so these are things that are flashing up all the time. You know, look at your own phone, you know, breaking news. It's, it seems to be relatively constant and it's there thrown in front of us over and over again. So 
as adults, you know, we have some capacity to kind of filter it out. We have some capacity to kind of rationalize it or put it aside. There's certainly a natural instinct to want to know why something happened or why someone did something and some of these sort of horrible shootings. But it also used to be a little bit easier to say, hey, that's over there. <laughs> that's them. Mm-hmm. You know, That's not us. It's not going to happen to us or to people that I know. And the more that that does occur, you know, where something happens at a shopping mall or a movie theater or at the school down the street, uh, you know, the more anxious and concerned you become, both as a parent and as a young person who really doesn't have the capacity to process that information as well, to filter it out, to really understand the difference between fantasy and reality, you know, what they may be watching on on a show. So for us, it was sort of Miami Vice, you know, they're people mm-hmm. there were explosions all the time and gun battles etc and you never really saw the consequences of any of that right um, now you see everything <laughs> yeah and, and in <laughs> fact if you really show. are looking for it you can go see everything sure on the internet yeah. especially so again there's just that difference and um, you know we have a responsibility as parents to do what we can to kind of monitor what our children are doing and that doesn't necessarily mean they shouldn't have a cell phone but you certainly have the right to say, look, I, you know, this is a phone that I pay for. Yeah. <laughs> this is a computer that is in our house. You're going to be on the computer downstairs in the kitchen, you know, when I can be there and kind of looking over your shoulder if I need to. Or I'm going to take your phone whenever I feel like it and I'm going to get to see what's on there. So kids are pretty sophisticated about what they search for and trying to now delete their histories and uh, what are this, you know, Snapchats and Instagrams right. things that go away very quickly. So, um, you know, it's more and more challenging to try to do that. But um, I think there are, we can do some of those things uh, in terms of monitoring what our kids are doing and what we allow them access to. And it's more, it seems more and more necessary. I mean, it's interesting to note that some of the the kind of the mass shootings of late, uh, you know, almost every other one is, is perpetuated by a young adult, uh, a you know, a, a twenty early twenty something year old or even younger, and and it makes you wonder if they, you know, developmentally just never kind of got through the the violence they experienced in their own life. Yeah, there's uh, again, there's so many things that go into those incidents and the motivations of those perpetrators and uh, mental health issues to begin with. Mental health issues, sort of the reaction seems to be, well, you know, if somebody goes and does that, then they must have a mental health issue. Well, that's generally true, but uh, a lot of perpetrators, when you take all of these incidents collectively over the last 10 or 20 years, very few of them had clear sort of recognizable mental illness mm. prior to instigating the act. So again, there's that's a, a challenge where it'd be easy and, and more comforting perhaps to say, well, all of these folks are mentally ill if we just deal with the mental illness right. part of it. Or the gun part of it, of it. right. Or the gun part of it. It's just not that simple, unfortunately. Yeah, we, we also need to just deal with the fact that we have violence that our kids can access. Does can And I guess it depends probably on age developmentally, but do do children differentiate between news that they hear about in Syria that's violent versus a video game they see their brother playing? Well, that's a good question, and, and you're exactly right. It does depend a bit developmentally on their ability to sort of understand the differences. Um, again, what's what's a game and versus, you know, what's real? Um, and kids are better at that as they get older. 
but those lines do get blurred. You know, if you're exposed to this over and over and over again, um, it's not as easy to differentiate the sort of cumulative effect of those things um, combined. But, you know, the good news is, even with adolescents who tend to want to spend more time with their friends and not be around their parents as much, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's some evidence that says, hey, if parents just are clear with their kids, you know, about what they expect from them, those kids do better. You know, so parents who say, this is not okay, or I don't want you doing this, or yeah, we, this yeah. is the time that I want you to be at home. doesn't mean their kids are going to do that all the time. But there's evidence to suggest that, you know, in some of the longitudinal studies we've done with kids over time, that if their parents just told them what they expected of them, those kids did better. That's and, – and, and yeah, laying down the expectation right. and then having conversations around it, um, I guess, too, and having time. Like being with our kids where we can actually see them using their devices, catch right. them maybe looking at something that we can then talk about um, and, and not immediately just – being punitive, but being opening up discussions. Kids, right. That's right. Being able to, uh, it's not even just about being with them necessarily. Yeah. It is about being available to them and having these discussions and, and having these conversations about, you know, with them to say, hey, what are you doing? What's, what's this about? Or, you know, I have older adolescents and young adults in my home as well. And it's sort of the joke is, you know, if you want them to come to the dinner table, you got to text them. Because, you know, they don't right. they don't want to talk on the phone. You can't call them. You know, your kids don't respond to a phone call. They respond to a text. And so there's that adjustment that we have to make as parents to say this is what this is the age that they're growing up in and this is how they communicate. But we kind of have to force the issue and say, look, we're going to sit down and eat dinner together and we're actually going to talk to each other and you're not going to be on your phone the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's hard for some kids to do right now is to put their phone down and turn it off. Uh, but that's something we can do as parents and say, look, we expect this hour or half hour or, you know, three times a week or whatever, we're actually going to talk to each other and be available to see what's going on in your day and how you're doing. Because they're, they're also going to have to do that at work, right? I just had this conversation <laughs> with my son who's in law school and said, you know, you're really going to have to, you know, be able to converse with people <laughs> when you interview <laughs> with folks and talk to them and not just respond in an email, you know, to a, a request to speak with them. So that's exactly right. They don't, they don't have any idea. They kind of look at you like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that's, um, it's such a different age. I mean, again, we grew up kind of in an era when you didn't have the luxury of being entertained every second. The entertainment right. had to come from your head or yep. a stick you found on the ground. That's right. Hey, a stick. That's right. Um, and, and what's go outside and play in the dirt? Yeah, I mean, and now just the apps, just the apps alone. The mere fact that Pokemon Go could take over the world as it as it seemingly has that's mm-hmm. that's in a, in a week, in a month, really. Now it's created whatever a nine billion dollar value yeah, increase, and uh, I mean, my it's fourteen year old daughter is just as content to sit for hours and watch Netflix as right. the, you know. I have to you know sort of say to her, get up and go do something, or let's go outside and play catch or something mm-hmm. you know, to get them. Uh, whereas for us, we just did that. That's what we did. We were out until the sun went down and then came back home. Is 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 the technology itself making us more resilient to uh, to going like to, to being able to heal through the violence that we're experiencing in life, or is it making it harder for us? Because people well, could experience violence back in the day, 
does technology because nowadays it seems like there's there's other information there's better ways to research and know stuff there's stuff online to get help right right you know more information isn't always better better right and it's not always accurate and the right information yeah you know so that's the that's the trick yeah there's more out there there's more available you can sort of self-diagnose your ailments better you know by googling things and symptoms on the internet but it doesn't mean that the that you're in the best position to then go treat yourself too. You know, sometimes you got to go see the doctor <laughs> yeah. and, and get the real information and, and the real diagnosis and the best treatment course. So, you know, certainly it's, it's helpful in some ways, you know, you need to fix a plumbing problem. You can go on YouTube and watch a film and kind of do it yourself. But, um, you know, there's also information overload and, uh, having to sift through what's really kind of real. Um, and accurate versus what's out there um, as misinformation. Mm-hmm. So I think we just need to be, again, we need to be mindful of that. We need to be careful about it and not just assume yeah. that it's all good. Yeah, they'll be fine. The kids will be kids. They're they're resilient. And they are. But one thing I, I also just I picked up from your article um, is the simple idea that if they've experienced being bullied, if they've experienced something traumatic and and if you're talking to them enough, you might be able to sense that. Don't don't minimize its long-term impact on them. Instead, get them help. Get them to somebody that can help them understand and process. That's right. And and the thing about all of that is that it's everybody responds a bit differently. And just because they don't act out right away when something happens doesn't necessarily mean that six months down the road or even a year down the road, something else might happen to trigger you know, some sort of anger or anxiety, mm-hmm. or what have you. So, you know, kids could bottle things up for a while as a way to cope. And then something happens uh, down the road and, and it all kind of comes flooding back. So you just sort of have to be vigilant yourself as their parent and caregiver. And that's part of that being uh, sort of available and aware and not just blowing it off yourself as being no big deal. They seem to be okay. Um, and, and ask them. Mm-hmm. I've, I've asked my kids directly, what's going on? You know, how are you doing? It's, it seems different now. You're sleeping more or your grades are falling off or, you know, what's going on with this at school? I heard about this thing. And let them, you know, they can tell you nothing. Yeah. Their first response probably is going to be nothing. Nothing. It's no big deal. Right. But uh, you've at least opened the door. That's right. And and the history of it will, will eventually hopefully pay off one way or another. Dr. Daniel Flannery, thank you so much for your great work. No problem. And thanks for being with us. Director of the Bagan Center for Violence Prevention, Research, and Education. You can go look up uh, bagan.case.edu to get more information about the work they are doing there um, on violence and children's mental health. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. You know, remember, and I, I think uh, our interview there with Daniel uh, Flannery, what, a, what an important thing to remember. The, these are your children. You love your kids. You want them to, to have the safest, best opportunity going forward. And they're not ever going to get away from um, certain situations like this. You, you can be very clear with them that they're not in danger and, and then talk about the fact that, that – Things can happen, but we can get through it. We have the power to get through it. 
the the great benefit of humanity is that we are incredibly resilient. And I think if we uh, teach our children this idea of being more resilient, giving them the skills to communicate open, openly, to talk about their feelings, and allowing them to share their feelings is what's going to get a lot of us through tragedies like this. They're not going to just be turned off, and we're going to be hearing more and more about legislation. Just after we did 9-11, um, it was traumatic for people. And yet, in the end, um, I think being a parent that allows the conversations to take place and actually facilitates them, it's going to be better for everybody. For you, it's going to bring you closer to them as well. So uh, let's just love them. Love them and, and help them realize that we'll get through it. We'll all get through it together. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be good and uh, live healthier, happier lives. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry South and Jeffrey Liam Simpson. The gang is all here in New Orleans, the Gulf Coast. They're bracing for Tropical Storm Nate. Is it their turn now? Now remember, New Orleans is that that's that uh, that's that entire uh, city that's underwater. I mean, yeah. except for the the system that keeps the water out of New Orleans that didn't keep up with when was that Katrina? They had some no, it was flooding. They had some flooding from another storm. It wasn't yeah. one of the hurricanes. I think it was just a storm system. Yeah, came storm through, surge flooded New Orleans. New Orleans, and they could not the pumps that they had. They couldn't keep up with the amount of water that came in. Oh. And so then, like, people were fired, and so now they're uh, another hurricane. The the center of the storm is expected to pass late Saturday or early Sunday, Ooh. past New Orleans then, uh, which was devastated 12 years ago by Hurricane Katrina. According to the National Hurricane Center, it would be the third hurricane after Harvey and Irma to hit the U.S. mainland in the last six weeks. And this will get more coverage than Maria did hitting Puerto Rico. Maria. Because the, exactly. weather, the weather channels are already moving people into position. They got their hotels. Yeah. They're ready to go. Well, and it's and it's Nolan's. Yeah. Best Cajun ever. Right. A little soggy, but it's fun. <laughs> Who doesn't love soggy Cajun? But boy, so get ready, Nolan's. And by the way, apparently uh, Nathan or Nate. Nate, don't. Has, don't call him Nathan. Yeah. That's his father. That's what his mom calls him. <laughs> that Nate has already killed, I think, 16 people. <clears throat> In like Nicaragua, wow. uh, Costa Rica, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, it's already impacting lives. <sighs> so it's it's you know they line up anyway. Um, not to we don't want to scare everybody, but just get ready, get ready, pay attention to it. Pay again. We we've learned a lot of lessons. Houston's recovering. It's just money. Save lives. If they tell you to leave, leave. If they tell you to... This is only Category 1, though. Yeah, but if your house is flooded... Remember, people, they all start moving upstairs, and then once you're upstairs... You just get on the roof. Then you got to get on the roof, but yeah. getting on the roof sometimes proves harder FEMA, than... FEMA put out some very helpful diagrams to show you what you need to do as the Don't water go rises. up in the attic. Don't get in the attic, because once you're kind of in the attic and the water's up... You're not getting out of the attic. Isn't it amazing, too, how even after government officials will come out and say, seriously, this is not a joke. 
leave your home or you will die. There are still people that won't leave. Oh, yeah. It's nah, crazy. We're fine. I would just you bet, make sure you have flood insurance. Mm. Then get out of there. That's tough stuff. Except flood insurance is almost bankrupt. They had to yeah. prop that situation up. It is interesting that the government is who provides flood insurance. Yeah. Right? And it's not. it doesn't operate like every other insurance. No. Right? So, like, you and I will have insurance for our homes. Right? But we never use it. Then there's that one person that has the bad luck and their house burns down. They use their insurance. Yeah. They pull from the pool. Every single person that gets flood insurance, they're in a flood zone. Right. It's going right. to flood. <laughs> there's not like there's not like people like myself that's not in a flood zone to have flood insurance. Yeah. No one does that. So there's nobody in the pool who will never use it. Everyone in the pool at some point will use the flood insurance. And they probably have really uh, high premiums too. Oh yeah. So it's almost bankrupt. They had to put ten billion, I think it was. Unbelievable. Figure out how to put a ton of money back into that because you're going to have more problems. More By the way, I'm watching a video that's on CNN about what happens to a home in a hurricane. Did you watch that? No. Unbelievable. Is it the Wizard of Oz? It oh, is. No, that was a twister. That was a twister. It's uh, okay. We're going to post it on our feed at Dr. Matt Show. Um, so when winds are over 100 miles an hour, it is it's devastating. The vacuum ends up ripping the roof off of the home. And this is all in a building just trying to show what happens at 100-mile-an-hour winds. So you've got no chance of hanging on if it takes the roof off of your house. All right. What do you do? Oh, my gosh. And you'll be like, I didn't even get to vacuum up there. (laughs) Your roof is flying down the street. Oh, my gosh. And it's just so, again, pay, pay close attention to, you know, the warnings to the weather service if you are in the New Orleans area. And, you know, then it'll just there I'm sure be a lot of water and a lot of wind. Tropical storm yet. I don't know if it'll reach hurricane status, but they're they're expecting it to to reach like level one. But uh, by the way, level one seems like a disappointment to some people. But, you know. It ain't pretty, folks. It ain't pretty. Uh, Let's get to the headlines with Terry South and and figure out what else we need to be worrying about uh, this weekend. What's up, Terry? Speaking of recent disasters, uh, the website for the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA. FEMA. Has removed key metrics describing the recovery from Hurricane Mario in Puerto Rico. They removed all the stats. Oh. About the recovery from Hurricane Maria. Hold on, why? Because they're doing so well. I, I thought that they want to show those stats. About half of Puerto Ricans are still without drinking water. Only 9% of the island has electricity, but such information is no longer available on the federal website. Those statistics, however, are still available on a Spanish-language website maintained by the Office of Puerto Rican Gover- uh, Governor. Uh, it's www.status.pr. FEMA spokesperson... Uh, declined to explain in an interview with the Washington Post why the information is no longer available on the main FEMA page, in addition to metrics about the number of federal workers on the ground and how many airports and post offices are open. The numbers are still available on the site. All appear to bolster President Trump's claim that the island is making quick strides towards recovery despite negative media coverage. Well, but uh, if it's going so well, yeah. you'd, you'd want to, on FEMA... Talk about everything that's happening. All this the good true. news, right? I mean, maybe there's just an, maybe there's an issue. Maybe that person that's over mm. that part of the website, maybe they're maybe they're on vacation. Maybe they just got married. They're on okay. a cruise. I'm right. Oh, sure. It's not a FEMA. 
The, the report just points out that it's odd that on the FEMA website, that information was there last week. Now it's not there. The Puerto Rican website It'll come back. shows that 9% of the island has electricity. Yeah. I mean, which site do you strange. trust? I don't know. I wouldn't trust the Puerto Rican site because, mm. I don't know if you heard, they had a disaster there. <laughs> they did. So they probably are having a hard time getting but the right data. One of the things that was helpful was FEMA went down there and told the people in Puerto Rico, sign up on the FEMA website. Yeah. And wait, there's no electricity on the island. But you know, oh, well, sign up on the no, website. No, just no, you don't <laughs> just, don't use your home computer. Just use your phone. Yeah, they're like, how are we supposed to? Only ten percent of our phones our are working. Phones are dead. We have no electricity. Here, do you want to borrow my phone? Because they want you to sign up so they can you get into you gotta, the system you get help, and supplies right. and help and yeah. Okay. So, one of the just, it'll come back. Just It'll come steps, back. It's fine. Yeah. White House officials reportedly believe that Chief of Staff John Kelly's personal phone was compromised. And made uh, the conclusion. Uh, and made the conclusion after Kelly reported the issue earlier this year. A White House p- official told Politico that Kelly has mostly used his government-issued phone since joining the Trump administration as Homeland Security Secretary. Kelly does not have a personal cell phone anymore. The official added, "It is not clear how exactly the phone was breached or what, if any, information was stolen. There is also concern that a hacker could have gained complete access to the phone, including the camera and the microphone, when you're walking oh. in and out of." You know, no, I've seen spy shows where they do yeah. that. Last night on MSNBC, they were reporting that the Secret Service has banned cell phones from the West Wing. Really? <laughs> they're not sure if they're compromised. Well, that's a good point. <clears throat> John Kelly walking into the, the Oval Office to talk to the president. You don't want a cell phone that someone just remotely can just turn on and listen to what's going well, on. Hold on. Let's, but let's, which would you rather have? Somebody listening and you don't know or... Somebody's ringer going off that's like La Bamba yeah. playing in the middle of, you know, a my, really weird moment. None of my conversations are all that interesting. I know, seriously. No. If you want to listen to me, you <laughs> are going to be bored. So there's some concern on whether White House cell phones have been compromised. Okay. Uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin took seven trips on government jets during the short tenure as the uh, Treasury Secretary. Uh, the department may have cost taxpayers over $800,000, but at no time did he violate any laws. A preliminary internal review concluded Thursday. How much Thursday. money? $800,000 in Ooh, seven He's months. almost up there to price. He's getting close. A new memo from the Treasury Department's Inspector General from his legal counsel, Rich Delmar, determined that while these expensive trips don't break any laws, yeah. they also don't meet the standards for justification set out in the guidelines his administration has said they would follow. Mmm. So his most expensive flight outline in the report were two overseas trips, each of which cost over $300,000. So there's two trips that cost more than $300,000. But he had to go overseas, and he has to take security. Mm. He has he has to take, you know, hair, makeup, whatever. <laughs> it also showed that he requested a flight between New York and Washington, D.C. on August 15th that cost $15,000. Man. And it shows one previously unreported day trip to Miami that cost $43,725.50. What? Yeah. The commercial flights that day were available for $688 round trip. But he oh, spent 43000 on a quick day trip to Miami. Well, yeah, but hmm. they don't feed you on the commercial anymore. Right. It's true. So, again, not illegal, but not following the rules. What, so what does that mean? I don't know. I thought we were going to clear the swamp. Well, it was the idea. Drain that bad boy. So there's like three or four. There's three. We had Tom Price. Yeah. And we have Zinke, who's over interior, yeah. and Mnuchin. They're all having these questions come up. And then there's like some like undersecretaries that mm-hmm. have been doing this too. By so. the way, which, uh, which name would you rather say? Price, Zinke, or Mnuchin? 
Zinky for sure. For sure. Zinky's fun. Yeah. 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 I like Zinky. And, and in some nonsensical news. Oh, okay. Which is the best kind of brownie? Uh, from the middle of the pan or from mm. like an edge? Oh, it depends. Is it an edge or is it the middle? <laughs> it it's... depends. Do you want to chew or not? <clears throat> do you want to just swallow or do you want to chew? Yeah. It's the edge, hands down. Why? Uh, because you get a little bit of chewy mm. softness, but you also get a little crunchy. Interesting. Best Hardness. of both worlds. Yeah. Uh, what I would do, let me just be, not, yeah. not to make it more complicated. I would take a sliver about maybe an inch and a half wide from the crust. Okay. Hmm. And I'd cut it all the way through the center right. to the other side of the pan I've another inch and a half. I've done so this. you've got two crusts, mm-hmm. but a huge middle. And it's like a huge strip of brownie. Mm-hmm. Another great thing about the crust, you increase your chances of getting a piece that's not underbaked. Mm. This is true. So the middle is often not done all the way. But the the edges yeah. are always done. It, plus, my but in my family, my kids will eat the middle, so I always get the crust. Mm. So that's probably why I'm longing for the middle. <laughs> you miss it. Plus, as my well, teeth are softening as I age, it's just <laughs> easier to eat. Somebody the uh, Baker's Edge is a uh, mm. proprietor of baking um, materials, pans, stuff, yeah. like cooking paraphernalia. items, paraphernalia. Sure. They come up with a brownie pan. For edge lovers, a genius zigzag-shaped pan making every inch of batter bake into a chewy edge piece because the pan is shaped in one continuous design. There's no end to the edgy goodness. Oh, that is an edgy... What This is edges... What was it called again, the company? It's Baker's Edge. Baker's Edge. So it's really like... Well, I'm going to look that yeah, up. It's like an S... It's like an S-shaped. Yeah. It's got borders in the pan. And you, when you pour the batter in, everything has an edge. There's no middle that's just open, like free-range brownie. There's none yeah. of that happening. Yeah, I that's, like that one. That's genius. I've seen the kind that you know kind of has the crisscross design to it so that everything is a perfect shape. And I think those are for the middle pieces, though, right? Everything's yeah. a middle piece? Yeah. So if you like your edge pieces, there's an answer for you. Oh, I don't know what it is, but... I kind of got teary right there. With the brownie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, I blame you yesterday Me? for uh, for a craving I had. I saw that paper, oh, yeah, and yeah. for like the whole morning, I was craving a brownie. And I don't even, that's not even my favorite You're treat. You're not a brownie guy. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, I've got an idea. Uh-oh. And um, I wanted to see if you're up for it. Do we need to clear it with HR or no. anything? Okay, yeah, cool. we might. Um, you guys are pretty charitable people. Wrong. At times, sure. I mean, you're givers, right? Wrong. So uh, this mom, her name's Phoebe Canisto, and her six sons, uh, they they wanted to give back to charity. So the family, they all grew their hair out. Okay, so mom and the six sons, they grew their hair out, and then uh, they grew it out for years, and they, in the end, uh, had um, the opportunity to go have their hair cut, and they donated it to charity, and they they donated 17 feet Whoa. of hair. And I'm thinking, we could do that. They donated the hair to Children with Hair Loss, an organization that provides hair replacement for kids with medically related hair, and they have before and after pictures. Um, and I just thought, you know, maybe I we all grow our hair out. 
and we can be presentable. And I think I think it'd be fine here on BYU. We just see, but those are all girls, right? We just put it up in a bun. No, they're boys. Yeah. Really? No, they're all boys. No, there's they're all boys. Oh yeah, and they're all even wearing the same shirts. See, and I thought that would be neat too if we all just wore the same shirt. Uh, we had a before and then an after, and then so a before and then an after after. The shot. standards policy here yeah. at BYU Radio. Could we say we're doing this for charity? Yeah, and they would leave us alone. That's what I'm thinking. If like we were I'm still growing my beard for charity. Can we? Do people? No, we're not do, we won't can do you beard donate? Hair. Can you donate beard hair? Uh, I guess for you know GI Joe dolls that need. Like, what if somebody wants hair? a beard? They're not, a beard they're not wink. dolls. They're action figures. Yeah, if people you have, out there If you have a doll like a GI not, Joe doll, they're not dolls. They'll want a beard wig. Why not? A wig? <clears throat> yeah. Well, I mean, there's there are the, the G.I. Joes that are masters of disguise, and so you need the props. The doll? So they... <clears throat> for the G.I. Joe action doll. Action figures, they need the props so they can have, like, the wig, and they can, you know, sneak into mm. enemy headquarters. They got to take out Cobra somehow. I don't think they people want your facial hair. All right, well... It's red. That's Does that change your mind? Not at all. Hmm. Actually, it's just, you know, secured my point. <laughs> I mean, not not red. Red's not the problem. But people don't want facial hair because you got food around it. You're anti ginger. No, I, I'm a total pro ginger. Um, so, I, what I, I, in fact, Terry, will you check into that? Will you have Kiko call HR and check in to see uh, if we can grow our hair out? I'm pretty sure we know the answer. We'll put it up in a bun, so we'll always look presentable. But then we're, we're going to give the locks to child, to charity. Okay, I'll look into it. And I want to beat 17 feet. Okay. but you, you Make have it to, happen! You have to remember, there were, what, seven of them? And there are three of us? Yeah. Yeah, but you're good at, you set goals. You've been doing a lot, losing weight, and none setting of, goals. None of them were men in their 30s or above? Yeah. Who maybe are starting to lose their hair anyway? And? I just think that 17-feet goal is going to be real tough. So you're afraid of it. <laughs> Let's get other people involved. Let's get Don. We'll get other people. We'll get everybody involved. Don, is, again, not somebody you want to ask to participate in this. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. <sighs> you guys, it's almost like you're anti-charity. I thought you were more giving than that. I've given a, I've given up so much of my fat. I'm very charitable. Are you donating it? My wife said last night, she said, I feel like you're losing weight and I'm getting all of it. I said, yes, that's my gift to you. That's my, from my <laughs> gift to you. So when I, uh, if you weren't here in the first hour of the show, you didn't hear that I almost died because I twisted my ankle in a pothole on my, my hourly walk at BYU Radio. That's how I decompress. And I listen to podcasts. It's a beautiful moment of every day. Yesterday, I twisted my ankle while waving to a kind lady um, in the intersection. And I wasn't looking, twisted my ankle, but here's the deal. So I told my wife about it, and she just laughed. Every time I twist an ankle, because I have very <laughs> delicate ankles, very delicate ankles. You're just now realizing this? No, no. I, I've, I've, we... I've had six falls in my life, and every one of them is the exact same thing. It's me twisting my ankle. And I go down like a ton of bricks. What I mean is anytime, you know, we have some sort of an ailment, uh-huh. we like to play it up like it's some great big thing. That's why our wives laugh. 
No, no, no. Because it's like, you wimp. No, my my <laughs> wife laughs because it's funny. So we were playing tennis and I went down because I twisted my ankle. And she just started laughing and wouldn't stop. But here's what she said to me today as I was putting my ankle brace on because I really twisted it. She's like, maybe, maybe you just need to lose weight. That's what she said? That's what she said. See, now reverse those roles. Oh. What if you had said that to her? Oh, I'd be dead. Yeah. I would be dead. Yeah. But so it's not that I need to lose weight. It's need, I need to move my weight from above my waist to my <laughs> ankles. I have very dainty ankles. I think what, what's really going on is you're just doing too much at once. Maybe you're not a multitasker. I'm not a multitasker. You can't, I can't, you can't wave. be expected to wave no. and walk yeah. at the same time. And I time. think my glasses, because they're bifocals, I think that may have thrown me off too. Try a monocle. They're, they could be coming back, especially if you put one on. That's true. The, the, they would just take off. I'm going to wear a monocle. I've got to write that down. Wear a monocle. I've got to go be fitted for my monocle. The problem is when you wear a monocle, you can't act surprised. Because the minute you open your eye, your eye, <laughs> the minute you move your eyebrow up, your monocle pops out. That is a great point. Okay, I'm going to get to that monocle. Anyway, yeah, my wife said maybe you need to lose some weight. Well, I would if I could if I could walk, but now I can't walk because I'm I'm injured. So I'm just don't eat. Walk. Yeah. What do you do? Hey, up next we're going to be talking about uh, the seven myths of leadership. There's certain things that we believe have to be there if you're a leader or are there if you're a leader. Like we believe leaders are popular. Not always the case. Not always the case. <sighs> One thing we do know, this leader that's talking to you right now, dainty ankles. Very delicate, dainty ankles. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. And I realize that everything... Many people think that leaders must be both outgoing and popular to be successful, right? But in reality, most leaders are, aren't uh, extroverts or popular. Pastor Ron Edmondson has 35 years of leadership experience and has written a book about the myths of leadership. He's joining us today to share with us the myths. And the name of the book, by the way, uh, is The Mythical Leader, The Seven Myths of Leadership. And uh, we're excited to have you here. Uh, Pastor Ron Edmondson, thank you for your time. Well, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. I was listening. What you were talking about is a lot more fascinating than <laughs> what we're going to talk about now. About my I dainty could, ankles? Yeah. And well, and the, the beard and selling the hair. And yeah. All, we're doing all it all. That's just, See, that's what yeah, we do on the show, Ron. <laughs> We, Absolutely. We like to talk about everything that no one else well, would talk about. Now, yeah. Now, now let's digress into a topic that nobody cares about. That's no, right. I think a lot of people care about leadership. Is do we just do we have a misconception about leaders and leadership? I think so. And you know, as you said in the opening, I've been a, a I've been in a leadership position for many years, and sometimes you know you just some people have a bent towards that, and I think I do, where I just kind of, uh, if nobody else will lead, I will, and so that's been the case in high school and college and then in my career also, and and so I've just become somewhat of a student of leadership over, over the years, and um, now, um, maybe in the last five or ten years, it's really become kind of a buzz word, and, and yeah. we talk about leadership so much, and, and uh, every, everyone wants 
to obviously to, to excel in leadership if they do it. And but it, uh, it, it does come with some misperceptions, uh, misconceptions yeah. about what leadership is and how we lead. And that's really what prompted me to to write the book. What What was the first lesson uh, that you remember learning about leadership? The one that kind of stood out in your head. Well, it was the actually chapter one, and it's the uh, the myth is that a position makes a person a leader. Mm. And I learned that the hard way in my first official paid leadership position. Uh, in in fact, I'll I'll tell you the story real quick. Yeah. I also may do it a little more detail in the in the book, but I was um, mm. kind of put into a position by default. I was in a retail position at a department store. I was in college and I worked all the way through college full-time all the way to put myself through college. And so I had this job and 19 years old working in a retail, um, uh, in a men's uh, department of a retail store. And my boss just quit one day and uh, they, by default, they put me in the position. And so here I am a leader. I had five employees at the time in our department and we were having a um, a moonlight madness sale, and <laughs> those were popular oh. in the day. Oh yeah, those were huge. The only second, you remember those? yeah, yeah, second only to the blue light special. That, exactly right, exactly. And so they would tape up the windows and and close for a couple of hours and mark things down, and that's how they got rid of a lot of sales stuff. And people would line up and rush into the store, and they were real effective for a long time. So we were having one of those. It was my first one as as the uh, leader, as the department manager of, of this. And all my fellow associates, or most of them, were college students like me. Hmm. And uh, I had been given this position to um, to lead this department and staff the department for Moonlight uh, Madness. And it was a, the biggest deal since I had been a leader. Maybe I don't remember how long that had been, maybe a month or so. And so they taped up the uh, the the windows, the, we mark down the prices, and we open the doors, and people flood in. And uh, men's department was actually one of the more popular uh, departments back then. And all the people flooded into my department, and I'm the only one there. Um, none of my employees showed up for work. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> really? so incredibly embarrassed. And uh, I even, uh, it was the days before cell phones. I couldn't text them, yeah. and, you know, get a hold of them. Didn't have... Uh, uh, phones in the dorm room, so there's no way for me to... Smokescreen. Yeah, yeah, that's where you had to do, yeah. like, smoke signals Yeah, back in the day. It's, absolutely. And so uh, the, the next day, I'm I'm walking on campus, and I ran into one of them, and I said, where were you last night? You know, I was so embarrassed and didn't have... That's all I had to test, and I had to study for it. Like, <laughs> how, Hold wait, it. do you understand? I'm your boss, you know? I mean, like, you work for me now, but they didn't see me as that. They saw me at no different... When I put the title on as their leader or, or department manager, as the title was, they saw me as no different than I was the day before. I yeah. was just their friend from college. Oh. And it was such a, a wake-up call that, wow, I'm going to have to like earn their respect. They're, I'm going to have to show them that I'm, I have some uh, authority and learn how to do that. And then, then you and, might show up by being a jerk or by being demanding – but that Absolutely. doesn't seem to be – that wouldn't make them want to follow you anyway. No, no. And in those days, it was a little different in, in that you did uh, – uh, there was probably more of a controlling environment, uh, and that worked. You worked for a paycheck. You worked to pay your, your – you know, to eat and to get your – 
that's not as uh, true today. People, uh, especially the younger generation, are not going to just show up for a paycheck. They want to believe in what they're doing and all those sort of things. But in those days, it was a little different, but not not in the sense that these people were my peers. Mm. You know, they were they were on the same level as me. They didn't see me as any different than them. Yeah, no, that's and I wasn't huge. much different from them other than I made fifty cents an hour more than they did. Yeah. <laughs> well, and yeah, and you had some different title, but. Two, the title was so new to you, no one saw you under that umbrella. You didn't hire anybody, right? right? That's right. At that point. What do you – another myth I know you bring up uh, that that seems to be – this is kind of a really important myth because there's leadership in marriage. There's leadership in family. There's leadership in church like you're talking about. But the idea is if I'm not hearing anyone complain, then everyone must be happy. Yeah, exactly. And and I've got stories – for, for all of these, because all of these myths kind of came out of my, my own life. But um, my, it's interesting you said we're, there's leadership issues everywhere we are. My mother is in an assisted living uh, facility. It's been there about six months, and she, of course, read my book, and, you know, moms are going to do Oh, that. yeah. They're, they're the only actually, ones, really, the first reader. Right. right. That's right. And But she actually said, hey, this has actually been helpful for for us at the assisted living, and several of them have read it. Kind of <laughs> like I've got a book club at the yeah. assisted living, but because they they talked about it, it how it helped them deal just with relationships. And one of them was this this myth that you just mentioned: if I'm not hearing anyone complain, everyone must be happy. And um, I learned that in in church work, and they see it in the assisted living that people are patient for a little while. You know, I mean, okay, things are changing or things are not. And nobody's really saying anything, but it didn't mean they necessarily liked it or even were on board. And then the groundswell starts, and all of a sudden, you know, you realize, wow, everybody's not happy. It's not good. But you weren't yeah. saying anything. I didn't know. You know, I just yeah. you're okay with things. But some people won't say things, right? I mean, some people just aren't. They they don't think it's their play. I mean, they won't. They may not say anything to you to your face, but they may communicate it another way, right? Like they may just not show up. Or they may not, uh, they may not be as as willing to do other things. Exactly, and in the church world, uh, they they vote with their their wallet a lot of times. Oh, interesting! So they yeah, they don't um, they don't give as as easily as they used to because they're they're not happy with something. Or uh, what what also happens um, in an organizational sense is people are talking. They're just not talking to the leader, and mm-hmm. so that's when it's really that's when you really get in trouble is when a groundswell starts and you just didn't even know how big a problem this it, it was, and so that for as a leader you have to realize okay silence does not equate agreement necessarily, and so you have to constantly be asking questions what are people really thinking what are they really saying. Um, I'm not a survey guy so much you know because surveys just give a lot of times people in an outlet to voice complaints they should have done, you know, verbally. Yeah. But sometimes they help where you can uh, just see, okay, what's the pulse of, of people right now? What are they actually thinking that I'm not hearing? Yeah. And it's it's what I'm not hearing that's the most dangerous thing as a leader, well, and, the potential to undermine. I wanted to ask you, because as the as the author of the book, The Mythical Leader, Seven Myths of Leadership, Ron, um, and, and a pastor— um, because if you keep thinking um, 
that everyone's on board. Um, but there's this generation, for example, the millennials we're hearing more and more are are becoming less maybe um, – they're becoming less religious. Uh, they're maybe less. They might be spiritual, but less inclined to maybe go adopt the religious uh, focus by going to church and other things, possibly. How do you, as a leader, uh, make sure that you're leading um, their way? Like, how do, how do you lead your congregation, for example, where you might have seventy-year-olds, sixty-year-olds, fifty-year-olds, all these different generations and millennials, and still make it interesting for the millennial? Well, and we do have that. We are a very intergenerational church. Uh, thankfully, we have thriving. Uh, I, in fact, I told our church Sunday one of the things I love about it is we have a thriving baby ministry, a thriving young adult ministry, hmm. and a and a thriving homebound ministry. You know, we have the gamut of everything in between, and and uh, so it is a challenge to lead those different generations. But one of the things for me that I think is important is that I am making sure I'm listening to all of those audiences, that I'm not dominated by, you know, the senior adults who are more likely to voice their opinion. Um, uh, you, You know, so I hear from them more often if they're not happy about something. But I need to be listening to all of those um, uh, generations and audiences. And and we even – we're a larger um, organization, a larger church, and so we even try to staff that way. So to make sure that we have people from all generations that are sitting at the table when we Mm. do make decisions so that they can – and and for that matter, too, uh, you know, different backgrounds uh, also, different – you know, not just different ages, but – different uh, demographics, yeah. uh, if you will. And, and so, and, and, you know, in, depending on the size of the organization, those may be paid people or they may not be, but you can at least listen to the different groups, bring people to the table. And I often tell um, smaller churches, I work with a lot of smaller churches too, or even if it was a small business and I came out of the business world, I've only been in ministry about 16 years, you can, you can get the pulse of from by just asking people, they don't even have to attend your church. They may not even be your customers, but you can ask people just, okay, if you were to shop here or if you were to attend here, what would be important to you? Mm. You can at least ask those questions. But it's just important to to have different voices speaking into your life, not just people just like you. Absolutely. We talked about on our show yesterday or the day before about the fact that our own, you know, Congress and senators and representatives nationally are they're aging. There's there's more and more, uh, you know, eighty four year old senators that may run again for reelection, which would put them up to ninety. And would it not be better to maybe make sure we're stirring the pot and allowing younger generations to come in as well? But I mean, there's so much wisdom in in some of the older generations, and yet there's also so much passion. And um, energy in the younger generation, which is why it and seems ingenuity. like you need them all, right? Yeah, and that ingenuity. Yeah, you know that as we the older we get, the more we tend to um, resist change and and want to uh, you know do things the way they've always been done. And it's it's the it's that energy of youth, that enthusiasm that we really need to tap into. Mm. That's so important in a. In a in a church, but also I think you're exactly right in a government as well. I love uh, one of your your fifth myth is that leaders must have charisma; they must be an extrovert, and you mm. you blow that one up as well. 
Well, and that one's very personal to me because I'm uh, probably uh, on a scale of introversion, extroversion, I'm way over on the introversion yeah. scale. Uh, if, if I work a room, and, you know, uh, it, it's – I don't know where – you are, Matt, but for me personally, I did radio for 17 years also. I did a talk show. <laughs> but, so I, but you're an yeah. introvert. I'm, I'm a total introvert. Nobody believes yeah, it. it. But I'm socially – I mean, I can, I'll can. i put it out there, but that's why, you know, right after my show, I really need to be alone. Absolutely, and, and people don't understand that, that, you know, it, just because I'm extroverted in my work and I have to be, that I'm really introverted in my – in my person. And the, the fear for me, and the reason I wrote that is, is there's some very decided introverts out there. Maybe they're in high school right now or college or early in their careers. And they say, well, I could never do that because I, you know, I'm, I'm because I am so introverted. And, and so hopefully there's a, a freedom in releasing that in, in exposing that myth of, you know, that I do have to be extroverted at times. And certainly for, for the few hours of your show, you've got to be extroverted. Yeah. Um, but and and you can still do that and be very effective even with your your personality the way it is. Uh, I have found I have to have, and you said you have to have some quiet time after this show's over. I have to to really uh, build some disciplines in my life to be ready for for a Sunday, which is my most extroverted day, and then to recover from Sunday. Mm. Um, and and if without those, I'll burn out. And thankfully, I have enough people around me, our staff, and and certainly my family that understand that, and so they're not offended if I'm not, you know, chatty right after yeah. I get finished. No, but see, that's probably why it's so important that you bring it up, especially with your team um, and your staff, so they don't think you're mean or an o- an ogre. Uh, the, the, in the book Quiet, um, which talks about introversion, extroversion, yeah, she right talks cool. about the fact that President Bush and President Obama were probably both more introverted, yet the president, they made it to the presidency of the United States, but they also liked their time alone. Absolutely. And so I, I guess that's it, because we don't want I, I don't want an introverted young man or young woman to think that they could never be considered a leader simply because they don't, you know, like they don't get their energy by being with others all the time. Well, there's a million things or I don't know about me. There's, there's there's dozens of things we have to do in our work that is uncomfortable or stretches us. Uh, you know, I tell our staff my worst hour of the month is reconciling my credit card statement. I just <laughs> absolutely hate it. You know, it's because I'm not a detail person either, but it's got to be done. Yeah, and uh, that's the same way. If you aspire to be a leader, there will be times uh, where you have to be in front of people. You have to be leading the way, but you can do that as uh, as an introvert. Um, if you just, as I said earlier, have some some disciplines in your life that allow you to do that, you can't maintain that forever if you don't have those disciplines. But I, I think there's a value in being introverted. Honestly, um, you're probably more intentional with your what you're going to say on the radio, yeah. Uh, because you, your your introverts tend to think through before we speak, which which works well for what I do. Right. I don't stick my foot in my mouth quite as much um, unless I'm on a radio program and being interviewed <laughs> on the spot or something you know, yeah. like that. But, but most of the time I'm, I'm very calculated in what I'm going to say, and that's very helpful. It also allows me time to um, – I, I reflect 
deeper and, and more than uh, somebody who might be chatting all the time. You know, I, the time alone to me not only refuels me, but it also gives me uh, great thinking time, which is very important. Mm. Uh, the, the larger the organization, the more that leader really has to, whether it's reading or, or listening to podcasts and, you know, things like this, they really have to be absorbing or just spending time alone uh, and, on, and with God in my, uh, yeah. in, you know, in my context. Yeah. They really need that. Uh, that fueling time actually helps them lead better because that's where a lot of my energy and a lot of my ideas, a lot of my um, initiatives come from. Absolutely. Um, I know uh, to me, leadership too is about where it's not power over people, right? It's power with people. You, you, right. you exactly the minute right. you're thinking of yourself as kind of over them, um, it might it might actually distance you from them. We need to be, I guess, more in the church term shepherding versus you know sheep herding. Absolutely. Well, and and even in a in a context, most of us understand coach. Uh, it would would be a good connotation also that you know if you're coaching a football team or a basketball team, if you're not doing that with them, now there it, it's hard. You know, you've got to be hard on people sometimes to be a coach to yeah. get the best out of them, perhaps. But uh, and that that has all changed too. I talked about when I first started in leadership and the way it is now. You know, I hear from coaches. We've got quite a few coaches in our church. And I hear from from them the way you get the best out of students today is not necessarily that old style coaching where you can just beat the players up every day. It just doesn't work right. well anymore. And it's the same for. I say it's the difference in leader and boss. I don't like the term boss, and yet um, that was a very common term uh, when I started in, in my career and, and in the field of leadership. They were my boss, you know. Yeah. Uh, doesn't work. The word boss has a certain connotation to it now, and it just doesn't work as well. No, it's, yeah, it seems to like almost – oppress the soul. It's something, Absolutely. It's, yeah, we, we hold somebody back. Ron, as we wrap it up, what would you say is the one thing? I always like to walk away with the one thing that we could all do today that would impact our ability to, to lead better. One thing, I, I probably would, would say um, know yourself. Uh, the more aware you are of who you are and how you're wired, uh, your strengths and your weaknesses the better prepared you are to lead because uh, I, the older I get, and I'm, I'm 53, but the older I get, the more aware I am of what I'm just not any good at. And I spent a lot of time trying to do things that I wasn't good at rather than delegating and surrounding myself with people who could do, who could do the things I, that I just couldn't do. Yeah. And so the more I can focus on what I'm good at, uh, the, the more effective I am. And, but that, all begins with this self-awareness of just who am I as a person, as a as a leader, just you know, as an individual. I love it. Great, great advice. Uh, Pastor Ron Edmondson is his name. Uh, you can go to his website, ronedmondson.com. Find out more about uh, his book, The Mythical Leader, The Seven Myths of Leadership. You can also go uh, check out his blogs. He's blogging regularly. And uh, we appreciate you. And keep up the great work. Um, to have good people on the ground helping, uh, whether it's their congregation in a church setting or their government, their family, the neighborhood that they're in, 
we all could be better leaders, and that is one of the goals of this church, this uh, this show is to help you uh, reach your potential when it comes to leadership. We will continue the journey up next. Uh, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. What's the matter with you, boy? Are you too stupid to do what your coach tells you? Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball, friends. You know, uh, Ron, I think, uh, describes leadership beautifully. Remember, to be a leader, you, um, you have to lead somebody, right? You either have to lead yourself or the people around you. You can, you can lead an organization, but you don't lead a company, right? Because company is, I mean, that's a, that's a printer. That's a fax machine. That's a light switch. I mean, you have to lead people. And you also have to lead yourself. So this idea that he brought up about every one of us, we need to know what our strengths are. We need to know what we're good at. Do you feel like you're good at knowing who you are? Do you even take time at all during the week, during the day to set aside and ask yourself some questions? What am I uniquely gifted to do? What do I bring to this world that if I don't bring it, no one else is bringing it? Or what are my passions? What am I really curious about? Uh, what, do I, what really lights me up and makes me excited? Because if you can figure out what you're good at and what you're passionate about, then another thing you could ask is, what, what does the world need from me? What do I need uh, to, to be doing to lift this world to a different level? This is leadership, and I would always suggest uh, private victory precedes the public victory. Stephen Covey used to teach that. The private things we do, those quiet little things in our head, um, are going to lead us to become the person we are publicly. You can't expect it to be any different than that. So take those questions. What do I? What am I good at? What do I love doing? And what does the world need? Um, those are all, by the way, great points from Greg McKeon, McKeon's book, um, Essentialism. And go figure out what you essentially need to bring. And when you do, you might be able to start operating more from an essence part of life instead of a kind of a mandated forced part of life. Uh, interesting, interesting learnings for all of us. Up next, we're going to be wrapping up the show. We'll be doing a little empty news and also a little tease about what's coming up on screen cleaning our uh, weekend show uh, that will be hosted by Jeff Simpson. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. On the show, we like to talk about all the headlines we can, and uh, now we're going to get to the empty news with our empty news anchor, Jeff Simpson. The empty news team, first on the scene, fifth on facts. I think this story is very timely. Oh, good. As I mentioned, I'm, I'm going to a football game tonight. Yes. And you'll often see signs in front of people's homes that say $10 parking or $20 parking. <laughs> and then you also see the homes that... Uh, the homeowner has taken it upon themselves to place cones in front of their curb. Stay off my driveway. Which they really don't have a right to do because they don't own the curb. That's right. Right? That's right. We all made that argument when we were kids. So here's a guy in Liverpool who noticed that there was this couple that had driven their car up to his curb, gotten out, <laughs> uh, pulled a couple of suitcases out of the trunk, and then hopped into a taxi. So he's thinking, okay, they're clearly going to the airport and they just want to save money on parking, right? So he's a Costco employee. (laughs) So what he did while he was at work or after he got off of work, 
he bought a giant roll of cellophane. Oh, boy. And I thought this was pretty clever, although I don't really sympathize with homeowners that feel like they own the curb, right? He takes the cellophane and he wraps the entire car no way. in cellophane. Who has time for this? Apparently this guy. So he wraps the whole thing in cellophane. He tried to, to reach out to the cops, but the cops said, you know, they're not legally, they're within their rights to do that. Yeah. There's nothing that they did wrong. So, yeah, he took it in his own hands and wrapped their car in cellophane. Wrapped that car up? They're going to have a nice little wrapped present when but they come back. you know what's back. great? If there will be less dirt on the car, less drugs, maybe no, no snow, no rain. True. It's good. Let me ask kind. you a question. Yeah. Where would you go with a bag full of $10,000? What's the first place you would go to? I would go to the bank. Well, what if you've taken that money from the bank? I'd go to another bank. Okay, and just keep <laughs> go to the neighbor just bank. Keep hitting the, the yeah. next bank. So, uh, police arrested a Gainesville man Thursday at a KFC. Oh no! After they say he stole more than ten thousand dollars from a Wells Fargo bank, uh, he was thirty-two. He entered the Wells Fargo bank and told the teller he needed money, mm. according to Gainesville police. Uh, and the teller asked, "Oh, do you have a debit card?" And he responded, "Yeah, this is a robbery." Give me all, all the money that you have in the bank. That's what I meant. <laughs> so she gave him the money, and uh, he asked if he wanted a bag. That's so polite of the yeah, employee could, there. Could you get me a bag? So he said yes and thanked the teller. He then took the bag with more than $10,000 in it and uh, walked through the neighboring grocery, grocery parking lot and went into a KFC. There was an employee that was following him, taking pictures of him the whole time. Really? So he goes yeah. up to a lady in the KFC, asked for a cigarette, and officers showed up. Well, and, do they uh, not? Does he not know they don't serve cigarettes at KFC? I, I guess give me a cigarette. Uh, and we don't with have a bag that. full of ten thousand dollars, you think he could afford one? Yeah, you'd think he would. I, I would get out of that town. I would go to another place. Then I'd go to KFC and ask for a cigarette. True. Actually, I never would ask for. A cigarette. They got a soundbite from uh, Colonel Sanders himself too. They certainly did. Right here. I'm feeling a little extra crispy. <laughs> that was George Hamilton as Colonel Sanders. The George Hamilton KFC yeah. series. So uh, up next, by the way, for the weekend, we always like to give everybody a treat from the Matt Townsend Show. And we, tur- we turn the reins over to Jeff. And Jeff is going to be, de- not debuting, but talking, doing screen cleaning. Another timely topic. It's going to be a show about music. Since BYU fans are probably not going to see a win tonight. Or they may can, not, possibly not. Right. Yeah. They may get excited about the music, at least. Yeah. So we're going to be talking to the guy at the football stadium that plays the music, pumps up the crowd, does whatever he can oh, to cool. make sure that we have a good time at the game. That is a good, that's a great interview. That's straight ahead on screen cleaning. Hey, folks, that's it for me. But uh, enjoy the weekend. I will. And then Monday, we'll kick it off and do it all again. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We couldn't do it without you. And uh, just know, we care about you. And we'll be talking again Monday. Stick with uh, Screen Cleaning up next. The show begins... It's time to break the show down musically. I hope for you it is not agony. The show is full of so much fun that won't stop till the hour's done. Let's begin. A man's rude date just won't get off her phone. He yells at her so she leaves him alone. 
Our own beloved weather girl gives movie reviewing a whirl, followed by the man who pumps up crowds at football games. We'll see which tunes he can and cannot name. And then some guys create a show on YouTube called Hey Joe. We've all enjoyed this intro song, but now it's time to move along. Here we go. The show begins in five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> wow. Oh. <clears throat> These aren't tears, by the way. Wow. Oh, that was powerful. So touching. Oh, forgive me. Oh. I, I don't know how I'm going to be able to follow that, Cole. I really don't. <clears throat> well, welcome to Screen Cleaning. We don't usually start out uh, each show with tears. My name's Jeff Simpson, and uh, every Friday at 9 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm going to do my darndest to bring you all that's good in entertainment, whether it's helping you finding quality and appropriate movies to watch with your family, shining a big old spotlight on clean comedians, or even presenting the news through music, as we did today. Basically, uh, we want to take an element of the Matt Townsend show that we feel is missing, which is humor. We want to, you know, give you at least one hour that is is funny. So that's really our goal here on Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend show. And, of course, Cole Wissinger is here to lend a hand to... Cole, uh, do you ever wish that your life was just one big musical? Oh, absolutely. One show-stopping number after another. Who wouldn't want that? Okay, well, what type of a musical would it be? Oh, see, now that that's a good question because there's all kinds of musicals, right? Green Day has like a punk, punk rock musical. It's Hamilton is went, a rap musical. It's interesting you went to Green Day very first because when I think of musicals, I think like The Music Man and Fiddler on the Roof Sound and Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah. Maybe not Sound of Music, but... Uh, <laughs> So what is your favorite musical then? Ooh. I mean, Hamilton's the new, hot new thing on town. That's easy to say. It's my favorite. Okay. But I mean, I've I've seen Lion King on Broadway, and it doesn't get much better than that. Also, the costumes and everything were great. I have seen that one. Mine is The Music Man, hands down. The Music Man. With well, Matthew Broderick? No. And uh, Kristen Chenoweth, No. Uh, we'll have more music talk throughout the program, of course, but uh, first we do need to give you a recap of the latest and very best in entertainment news. Let's start off with the best revival news. Now, I've never seen this show. It's a little show called Timeless. It's about time travel. And, uh, this show was actually canceled. Oh, yeah. And the fans of this show, there was such an outcry among the fans that I believe it's NBC. They said, okay. I guess we won't cancel it. So, oh, man, if only that would work with some of the other shows that have been canceled. Um, luckily, one of the shows that I watched, The Last Man on Earth, has not been canceled, shockingly, and uh, it's going to come back for a fourth season. So that's the best revival news. The best renewal news is, of course, Arrested Development. Hmm. I could listen to this. 22nd song all day long. And, uh, you know, I'm not mentioning this because I'm saying you should go watch it, but I do think it's interesting that uh, it's one of the few shows that started out on TV, ends up on a streaming network like Netflix that continues bleeping out to bleep out the swear words in it. 
So what usually you think if you go to Netflix or Amazon, now there's all this free range to say anything you want. No, they keep bleeping out the swear words just like they did on TV. But again, I just wanted to mention that because I love listening to that song. Lastly, the best theater etiquette news. We shared this uh, story on Matt's show as well, but one theater go is asking for $17.31, the price of the ticket for a 3D showing of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Brandon Vesmar filed suit against an unidentified 35-year-old woman who was allegedly texting during the film. The couple met online and were on a first date. Vesmar claims the woman checked her phone numerous times during the film, how rude, and responded to text messages. The director of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, James Gunn, gave his opinion on the matter. He tweeted, why stop at suing? She deserves jail time. Wow. Yeah, I don't think they're going to go out again. What do you think, Cole? I mean, if that's the first date, I don't think it's going to warrant a second. Yeah, usually... A volume two, if you will. Once, uh, once you start the legal process... That's probably where uh, it ends, right there. Right. Uh, well, hopefully he chooses a better theater-going uh, companion next time. Anyway, we are going to uh, take a quick break. And uh, up next, Sandy Jacobs, who is our beloved weather gal, she's going to be trying her hand at reviewing movies. Should be interesting. Uh, so we'll take a break and we'll return. This is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. BYU Radio. Talk about good. With Paul, I declare, let us put on the armor of light. I bear my special witness that Jesus Christ is the light, the life of the world. International ambassador, compassionate servant, devoted disciple. All of these can describe the life of Elder Robert D. Hales. Funeral services for Elder Hales will be carried live at 1 p.m. Eastern today on BYU Radio. This is John mowing the lawn back and forth, back and forth. This is Mary sitting in rush hour traffic and sitting. And this is Fred. Fred's typing on his computer for a very long time. If your theater of life needs an upgrade, head to the Utah Shakespeare Festival. All nine dynamic plays of it right next to Utah's famous national parks. The Tony Award winning Utah Shakespeare Festival. It's the greater escape. And you know you need one. Visit bar.org for tickets. You can take BYU Radio with you wherever you go. The BYU Radio app gives you access to stream live shows or listen to past episodes from the BYU Radio archive. The app is free and you will be able to hear all of the Cougar sports and BYU Radio shows you love right from your device. Just download the BYU Radio app for iOS, Android, and Amazon mobile devices and start listening. With the app, you'll have BYU Radio with you in the car, at work, or even on vacation. BYU Radio. Talk about good. BYU Sports Nation guys, the BYU store isn't the best place for tossing the football. You're taking a nap? Seriously? Okay, you can find plenty of general interest and religious books and a wide selection of treats. I'll admit, the cougar wear looks great on Spencer. We are live in the BYU store. Now this is your best idea. The BYU store, proud to sponsor BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio and BYU TV. 
This is Top of Mind. When you come to America, you are in proximity with people who are different than you. And you can either love them or pull back into your tiny little heart and make your heart smaller. And in this book, I'm trying to see what happens when you open yourself up to taking on people as neighbors, as family members, who you may not have ever accepted before coming to America. I'm Julie Rose. Hear new perspectives weekdays on Top of Mind from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. We'll talk soon. You know, our film critic Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews was not available today, so we've enlisted the help of BYU Radio's meteorologist, Sandy Jacobs, who insisted on filling in for Rod. Sandy, welcome to Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. Well, thanks for having me, Jeff. And again, really, thanks for filling in for Rod. I I know you're busy putting together your weather report for the 10 o'clock hour. Oh, it's no trouble. I'm happy to do it. Okay, so uh, what what movie do you want to talk about this week? I'll be reviewing a Pixar film. Oh, cool. Uh, uh, so you've already seen Cars 3. No, it's it's not Cars 3. It's actually Up. And I've got to tell you, Jeff, it looks like Pixar has another big hit on its hands. Up is the best movie I have seen all year. Uh, Sandy, <laughs> that film actually came out like in 2009. Yes. Well, it's actually the last movie I saw in the movie theaters. Okay. Uh, well, I guess give us your review of Up. Right. So Up is about a 78-year-old widower who travels to Paradise Falls, a place where he and his late wife have always wanted to visit. He travels to Paradise Falls in his home, which is equipped with hundreds of helium-filled balloons. It's just a delightful, heartbreaking, heartwarming at the same time. It's just, it's just a whimsical film. And the best part of the film is around the 30-minute mark. And, oh, anyone who's seen this film, you, you know what scene I'm talking about. It's, uh, it's got Carl Fredrickson, the protagonist, and he's flying in his home, okay? And he looks out the window, and he sees partly cloudy skies with a few sun breaks in the afternoon with temperatures of 42 degrees, some moisture heading his way, and a 32% chance of scattered showers for the evening. Then he's looking at strong winds coming in from the east, continuing on throughout the weekend. Powerful stuff, Jeff. I see. Well, uh, Sandy, thanks for covering for Rod. Well, we'll let you go. I I know you've got to prepare for your next weather report. Oh, no, Jeff. um, It's really no problem. You know, I've still got time to review some more Pixar films, if you'd like. Uh, Let's see. Um, You know, no other film has captured Aurora Borealis as accurately as the film The Good Dinosaur. Okay, Sandy, let me me stop you right there. I I actually really didn't care for that film, The Good Dinosaur. Uh, Do you have any other reviews or weather reports? Yes, Jeff. You know, in the film Finding Dory, there's this scene which has some varying ocean temperatures which affect the local atmospheric pressure. And then that creates some regional wind patterns that in turn drive oceanic currents that affect surface ocean temperatures. Whoa, and then that's whoa gonna... Sandy. Spoiler alert. Some of us haven't seen that film that came out in 2003. All right. Well, I think this went well. Uh... Sandy, um, I guess, good work? 
Yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely think about having you back to review another film for us the next time uh, Rod's not available. Thank you, Sandy Jacobs. Um, she just okay. I think we're safe to talk now because she just walked out. Uh, Cole, did it seem to you like she was just like all she noticed in the movie was the weather? One track mind a little bit. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So she's kind of like a one trick pony, right? Just one at a time. She's got a good point, though. I mean, if you saw up, I mean, if you did, you see those cumulus clouds? They were fluffy. Are those the cumulus ones? I don't really know. We're and unfortunately, our... we're going to have to have Sandy Jacobs back to answer that question for mm-hmm. us. Anyway, uh, it could have been wor- it, it it could have been a lot worse. I'm sure. Okay. And it was a good movie to go along with. The movie was great. The weather. The movie review. I felt like I was watching her weather segment. <laughs> anyway, up next, we'll be speaking with Bryce Lake, who will be talking to us about the important role music plays in sports. When we return, we're going to continue this musical theme we've got going on. Stick with us. This is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. BYU Radio. Talk about good. Welcome to Twisted Tales, stories of the macabre inspired by actual events. Today's Twisted Tale is entitled Eight-Legged Fear. Mary Abbotton let out a terrified scream when she noticed a tarantula the size of her hand crawling up her foot. In a panic, she called an RSPCA inspector, only to discover later the hairy arachnid was made of plastic. (sighs) Pacified, she breathed easy again, only to be scared out of her skin by a loud knock at the door. Alarmed at the mysterious late-night visitor, she reluctantly inched her way toward the front door, only to remember her call to the RSPCA. Regaining her composure, she opened the door, only to discover it was not an inspector from the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, but a representative from the other RSPCA, the Royal Society of Public Certified Accountants. Your capital account is insolvent. Fearing for her life, she slammed the door shut, frantically turned the lock, and ran toward her bedroom, only to trip over a sharp object. Upon further inspection, she saw that it was just her son's Lego set. She sat there, relieved, only to remember she didn't have a son. Her ear-piercing screams led to tears of terror. She reached for her box of Kleenex. Only to discover the box was empty. She rushed to the lavatory, hoping some toilet paper could act as a suitable substitute. Only to discover the TP was one ply. Reeling in horror, she threw herself into the bathtub. Only to discover a tarantula, the size of a hand crawling up her foot. Join us next time for another terrifying edition of Twisted Tales. <laughs> Excuse me.
स्टूडियोज में Good song, one that you might hear at a uh, football stadium or a baseball stadium, which is inter- interesting because our next guest happens to know something about that. Everyone knows that without music, the world would be flat. You get that? So, what would a college or professional sports game look like without music? Here to speak with us today is Brian Lake. Br- Brian Bryce. or Bryce? It's Bryce. It's, I see Bryce it's and Bryce. Brian. I called yes. you Bryce when you came in. You so, you're the marketing coordinator for BYU football, and you're the guy that gets to pick and play all the music at the BYU football games. Welcome to Screen Cleaning, first of all. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So you said you've been doing this for how long again? Uh, full-time, almost full, four years. So I did a little volunteer work in my undergrad here at BYU, but uh, yeah, four years full-time. So. so I'm super excited to talk to you, and this just sounds like the coolest job in the world. I'm sure there, be, there are plenty of people out there that would love to have this job. Yes, I get that often. <laughs> so... Obviously, there was a time, you know, at sporting events when music was not an element of the game, right? Yes, like way correct. back when. Correct. And over the years, obviously, it's it's uh, played a bigger part in that. What exactly, what role does music play in sports? You know, it's interesting that you bring that up. I think actually the New York Knicks this year, uh, a few games back, tried to do a game without any music. That's right. Yeah, in the yeah. First half. And even the players and everybody was commenting how weird it was and how (laughs) odd it felt. Um, So back to your question, I mean, music plays a huge role. Um, It's probably day-to-day, probably a smaller portion of what I do, the smallest. Yeah. But has a huge impact, right, a lasting impact. So there's a lot of pressure, especially here at BYU, to choose music that will drive emotion. Yeah. And be appropriate, quote unquote, <laughs> right? So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. Okay, so how do you choose the type of music that gets played at these football games and baseball games? How does that? Uh, how do you make those decisions? Yeah, so it's a it's an ongoing process. I I guess it's I mean it's weekly. We usually get some suggestions from the players, right? Which we can usually play one or two of their <laughs> list, yeah. right? Um, but we're we're always scouring the top charts, the best classical rock selection from the '80s, the top country hits. I mean, we're always going through um, the new music, the new artists, and uh, then we just pull them up on YouTube and and start listening. And it's pretty clear in the first couple of seconds yeah we're not going to be able to use a particular (laughs) song um or if we need to take a closer look at it or if you know there's some songs that are just we'll play every game all the time yeah you know a la sweet caroline or whatever so oh yeah yeah it seems like a really tough job because you know there are babies coming to these games and there are senior citizens coming to yeah. this game to these games and everybody in between so are you shooting for a, a particular demographic because i know it's virtually impossible to please everybody it it is um and and we we get our share of complaints um <laughs> but you know we we have to find a balance and and i think more particular than playing one song that's going to please everybody we need to play a variety of songs that throughout throughout the game or the event, somebody's going to find something to relate with, and and you know, 
have a good emotional attachment to. So sometimes we have to play some hip-hop beats for the players, right? Get them to make a, a, a tackle or after a big dunk, uh, but then we can scale it back and, you know, play some classic rock or, you know, something for the family, for the kids. And, and I think it's unique here at BYU. Like you said, we have three-month-olds coming, you know, with their little headphones on, <laughs> up, to, up to people who have been here for years and years, and, and pleasing everybody with one song or one genre of music, it's rough. It's tough. Yeah. So. so there are times when you're more focused on the players, and other times you're more focused on the fans. Yes, although we err on the side of the fans, right? Right, um, yeah. We, we err on the side of our customer, our client, and, and we realize that they're paying and looking for a family environment at these events, at these games. And so we try to provide a good experience for them. Um, so we, we err on that side and and try to keep them happy and, and and moving right along. So let me ask you your opinion on this. How much how much of a a role do you think the audience plays in the success of a team? In other words, you know, let's say they're down. I'm gonna, I'll in a minute here I'm going to give you a few different scenarios, but uh let's say they're down and it, it, is it possible for the audience to basically resuscitate the team with their cheering? Yes, I, I mean you're asking you know a, a very opinionated guy <laughs> yeah. in this in this market, but absolutely. Um, and in talking with players and coaches alike, they feed off of that energy at at home, especially, um, and they can feel it. And and I think it has a great impact on on the performance of a team when they feel that you know sixty thousand plus fans are behind them and and really cheering for them. And so take the, taking that one step further, anything we can do from a production standpoint to maintain that emotion in the stadium or elevate it or I don't want to say manipulate it, but that's, that's sure. essentially what we yeah. do with, with the music and the song choice that we select is we can play with the emotions of the crowd a little bit to hopefully keep our team yeah. on their toes. So. Okay, let me give you a few different scenarios here, and you answer me with a, an example of a song that you might play in this scenario. Okay, okay? so let's say um, let's say the the BYU Cougars are down, and there's you know maybe three minutes left in the fourth quarter, and they're down by a couple of touchdowns. What is the type of a of song that you would play in that scenario? Well, I can tell you what I wouldn't play. Okay. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, in that type of scenario, and I guess it, a lot of it has to do, do with the flow of the game. Right? Sure, yeah. If we've been down three touchdowns all game and we're not playing well and it's not on our – it's just – it's not looking Probably good. not going to happen, yeah. You know, at that point, I'm just going to play a song – that will keep the fans there having a good time. So I'll probably play an old, an older school song that'll get them up to dance. You know, maybe a jump around, maybe a oh, good song. You know, or something where they can put their arm around the person next to them and, and sing a little bit, like Brown Eyed Girl. Or, yeah, you know, just yeah. something to keep keep the mood light. If we've been down by six touchdowns and we're making a big comeback. Ooh, this was going to be my next question. See, the momentum, so yeah, it's, it's the momentum, and so you have to play. To, you have to play to the game. Um, and so you'd probably pick something a little bit more, um, you know, inspiring or, or moving or something that'll, if we're on defense and, 
it's going to get people up and loud and engaged. And, yeah. And so you kind of have to feel out the game. Um, also knowing that it can change in, in any second. Sure, right? yeah. So you got to have – you've got to – we have a music cue. So, man, if, if an interception happens right here and we score a touchdown and now it's close – Here's here's my three or four songs that I'm gonna yeah play. so interesting yeah okay now my next one is do you have any type of opposition music what I mean by that like if you're at a baseball stadium and a, a coach on the opposing team comes out to converse with his pitcher absolutely usually it'll be like you know dun, 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 yeah, Darth Vader you know so what what's what type of opposition music do you have and when is it appropriate to play that yes so. We we absolutely do, um, and that's part of the gamesmanship. Um, we certainly so one of my coworkers actually oversees the baseball side of things, but man, he has any time a pitcher is changed or there's a, a meeting at the plate or whatever, you know, he has bye 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 from NSYNC <laughs> or you know Happy awesome. Trails or or whatever it is. Or man, if the coach just keeps coming out to talk to the umps or the the referees, you know, we can play the Jeopardy song or you know, yeah. there, there's certain things like that. Um, in a football basketball game, you know, we're supposed to play music behind the opposing team intros or whatever, but we yeah. always. You know, this last season we did a lot of '90s sitcom themes. So I played like, like, or even older. I played like Matlock or The Simpsons, yeah. like theme song behind the opposing team. So yeah, there's music, but it's kind of weird. Makes the fans chuckle a little bit, and then I transition into our team. And so that's awesome. There is some gamesmanship there. We, you know, you can't play it all the time. We, we well, and that's in good humor yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. When when anybody's injured. Or there's yeah. a, a timeout for that type of thing. We we stay away from playing music. And yeah. Just let things play out. Interesting. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, obviously a lot of the music that you play gets people up and dancing and, and excited. Now, as far as the players go, are there any players that just are super good dancers or that really get into the music that you do play? Yes, absolutely. Um one of them we just we just lost. He just graduated. Jamal Williams. Oh, right? J Swag Daddy drafted, <laughs> drafted by yes. the Packers. Yeah, very That's exciting. Awesome. Um, he loved to dance and would dance to anything and everything. <laughs> um, and oftentimes in the week, you know, I'd run into him at the student athlete building or out of practice or whatever, and you know, he'd say, "Hey, think you could play this song or you know try this out?" And and a lot of players, you know know who the music guy is, right? And so they they always shoot emails or texts and, hey, you know, we really like this song. And most of the time, I'm not going to probably play it. Yeah. But, but there are a few yeah. that, are, that are great and, and awesome and they dance to it and, and it's fun to see them interact with, with yeah. part of the game. So. so before we take a break and then we'll, we'll come back and do another segment here with you, I know uh, – Palakiko was saying that you're really into movies too, and I'm just curious to know what are your favorite sports movies, or in what movies have they played the best sports music? Man, you know, favorite sports movies right away is Remember the Titans. I mm, mean, just an mm-hmm. instant classic. Um, I also loved uh, The Rookie. That's a great sports movie. Um, but a lot of the music that we actually use in sporting events doesn't come from sports movies. Really? Yeah. We use a lot of uh, cinematic trailer, high action, high pace, yes. high intensity. So uh, stuff from Transformers movies or <laughs> like the Bourne movies, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
it's it's music that that plays with your emotions and gets you excited. It gets you to feel a certain way, excited or or intense. Yeah. And, and so we use a lot of that actually. And then really quickly, what is the one song that every time you're you're always looking for an opportunity to play this song because you just love playing it at the stadium? Well, you know, there's two. One okay. is "Power" by Kanye West. Oh, we usually I... play the instrumental, and that's when the student section links arms. They sway back and forth. Yeah, they kind of hum along to it. I thought you were talking about "I've Got the Power." Yeah, right. Yeah, that that would work too. <laughs> and then the one I always look forward to playing is "All I Do Is Win," um, because that usually means we're going to win, and so that that's always a good one to play. Well, I can already tell this next segment is going to be very interesting, no and uh, <laughs> we're going to play a little game, and fair warning, I am going to lose. Um, <laughs> we're going to play Name That Tune, but we're going to give you a little bit of a, a unique twist on it, which we will explain when we return. We'll be right back. We're speaking with Bryce Lake, and uh, we'll continue the fun here on Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. Talk about good. BYU Radio. The next time you see a picture of a polar plunge, take your temperature. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. Researchers in the UK have discovered an interesting phenomenon. Simply looking at a picture of someone experiencing extreme cold drops the body temperature of the viewer. The research was led by a leading neuropsychiatrist who suggests that the unconscious physical changes prove what social creatures humans really are. Mimicking another person helps us rapidly empathize with and predict others' feelings, thoughts, and motivations, a somewhat controversial strategy often used by method actors to help them identify with a new role. In Dr. Harrison's study, volunteers looked at videos of people submerging their hands in containers of water that were obviously hot or cold. While watching the cold water videos, the volunteers' hands became significantly colder. Interestingly enough, no change was recorded when viewing the warm water videos, leaving the team with a new question. Are we really more sensitive to cold than to hot? At any rate, be ready for that shiver the next time you see someone who's been left out in the cold. For Innovation Now, I'm Jennifer Pulley. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. If it's dictionary definitions, we say, well, we can't do that, but magic is a figurative thing. There are things we don't understand, like cell phones, like curbs and gutters, electrical wires. I don't know how anything works. The world, to so many of us, might as well be magic. Listen to scholars unfold their magic on This Will Take a While, 4 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. I wish I had a river so Discover the best in international, national, and local artists. Highway 89, weeknights at 10 Eastern on BYU Radio. Hmm. Sir, oh, okay, now I get it. See, you would have won because you probably knew what that was before. You know, it took a minute. It did. It took yeah. a minute. So, I, uh, welcome back to Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. 
I'm sitting here with Bryce Lake, who's the guy that uh, he's in the the marketing department at BYU or the marketing athletic athletic department. Yes, but uh, he one of his responsibilities is to select the songs that uh, are played at the BYU football games, the BYU women's softball games, and then also the the men's basketball. Yeah, Yeah, and so we've had a good time talking about uh, his job here on the show. Now we thought we'd continue the fun with a little game that is familiar to everyone, which is Name That Tune, but we're going to put a little unique twist on it. I I mentioned during the break that my favorite team is the Los Angeles Dodgers. You mention it a lot, Jeff. (laughs) Really? Oh, okay. Well, I'll probably mention it more. Uh, There's a sweet old lady at Dodger Stadium that plays all these popular songs on the organ and uh, it always makes you laugh and think, like, is she really playing, you know, Happy by Pharrell, Pharrell Williams? And I didn't know anybody would play that on an organ. So we're going to play Name That Tune, Organ Edition. And, Cole, you're going to explain how this is going to go down. Yep. We're just going to take some turns. Um, we're going to start with Jeff and ease him in slow. And then I'll give each of you a chance to guess some music you might not normally hear on that baseball-style, sports-style organ music. Okay, is there a steal? Like, if I don't know it, and, and Bryce does know it, does he get to steal it? Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. See, now yep. you're putting the pressure on <laughs> And This is the hot seat now. And I'll be keeping track of scores. <laughs> so we will okay. know at the end. Alright, so All right, like I said, I'm going to easy and slow, Jeff. Okay. You're going to go first. And How then, much time do I have on each um, one? Like, if... There are about 30 seconds of music. Okay. I think you should cut me off after like 10 or 12 oh, seconds. Okay, yeah. cool. Alright, let's do this. Alright, first song. Should be familiar. Charge. Exactly. Very good. I don't know any other name for it, but Charge. Yeah. <laughs> the Charge song. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That was easy. I hope I get as easy of a song selection. No, only the, the most difficult songs for our guests. Well, I I mean, I have to be fair. I have to give him an easy one as well. And so right, this is going right, to be right. a crowd favorite. This is Sweet Caroline. Mm-hmm. You, you just mentioned that just on the show earlier. It. Yeah, it sounds different on the organ. It sure does. Okay, I like that. <laughs> All right. Okay. So now we're getting into now we're getting into the real music, right? All right. <gasps> yes. Uh, what still, is the name of still, it? Still, still. Oh. <laughs> da, da, da. You and me, and me and you. Da, da, there you oh, go. So happy together. So happy there. together. All right. Yes. There you go. Go. I, that, you was, that was on my mixed tapes growing up. I love that song. Okay. We're a, we're a little old school right now. That's mm-hmm. good. All mm-hmm. right. I've got to dig into the archives See, Once he gets to the, to the current stuff, the game is yours. <laughs> so just so you know. All right. Coming up next. It is. Oh my god, I, I recognize. Wait for it. Palakiko knows it. Still, come on. There you go. All right. Bad day. All bad right. day right there. Man. Woo-hoo. See, it takes me to the chorus. That's. Yeah, so it's hard until you get to that chorus. Mm-hmm. Okay. What have you got next? Okay, so we started off the show talking about a little, some musical movies. Yes. So that'll be yes. the theme of our next two. Okay. 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 
Fiddler on the Roof, uh, if I were a rich man. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, a little bit of an unfair advantage. I played Tevya in high school okay, in Fiddler on go. the Roof. So this so. is in your blood. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I've never heard that on the organ, though. That is so funny. And there's wow. the part that everyone recognizes. Yes. Deedle-deedle-deedle. Yes. Okay. Oh, thank you for putting that it on. Is. That takes me back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Another movie. Okay. There's the title right there. Right there? Hmm. This is man tough. You've really got me on this one. I don't know what it is either. I had to find one to stump you guys. What is it? So this is from maybe like the fourth or fifth or sixth best song from the movie, but it's She's Like the Wind from Dirty Dancing. What? Patrick you know, Swayze? I have never uh, seen that movie. Uh, see, I would get in trouble oh. if I admitted that I have never seen that movie either. But between you and me, nose tap. There you go. Oh, I'm hurt. Neither one of you. Sorry, sorry, Cole. It's a classic. Okay, so I have I have a couple more. Okay, let's hear them. Man, that was tough. That was tough. Star Wars. This is, uh, yes, Star Wars. But where? Do I have to choose an episode? Uh, this is at the the end when they're giving out the awards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The awards, the, the medals of honor, I guess. There you go. Yeah. I liked this because at first it kind of sounds like a wedding march. It does. Especially played on the organ and all. I guarantee you there have been some Star Wars fans out there who have played this at their wedding. As they walk I down guarantee the you. I, yeah, I would not be surprised. I would not If you've be got like Star Wars themed living rooms, you've probably had a Star Wars wedding too. <laughs> Is that a thing? I Star think Wars so. I know there, I heard of, of a dentist one time that had like a Batman themed dentist office. Okay. Like it was the Bat Cave. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, That's all I'm going to say about kids, that. <laughs> kids are afraid of the dentist. So we got one, one last one from a movie for you. See okay. if you can redeem yourself from Dirty Dancing. Oh, boy. I hope I've seen it. I forgive you for not knowing Dirty Dancing. <laughs> Is this a horror movie? Sounds like it with Oregon, huh? Yes. Yes. Is... Yes. I have no idea. I've Hold stumped on. the guest. Give me, give me a bare necessities. Oh, right there, there there is. Is. I can hear I'm recipes. Over it. A Jungle Book. Right? Oh my goodness, I loved that movie growing up. At first, though, I thought it was like a creepy clown it movie. It did. It sounded very creepy. Wow. Okay. Do we have a couple more? I can do one more. Let's do. Let's do one more. I think we have time for that. Okay. And this, let's just say, this is a, a fastest buzzer all. question. Whoever yeah. gets it first. All you. It's all you. The entertainer? No. Is it the entertainer? The entertainer. 
Wow. See, you, you, I lucked out because Cole didn't play anything that's like current right now, which would have killed me completely. There you go. Stopped me in my tracks. I'm not playing much of the entertainer at a, at a sporting event. Though it is a great song. Yeah. I probably wouldn't <laughs> opt to play this. To be fair, I don't know how much current music is being played on the organ. I think you played one or two of them at the beginning. What was one of them? I mean, she had a bad day. Oh, had yeah. a bad Sounds day. A little but even that is organ. like what, fifteen years old or so? Yeah, it's it's a good yeah. seven, eight years old. So that was <sighs> fun. That was. That was challenging. I've got to go brush up a little bit. <laughs> okay, so uh, just some ideas for what you could play at the BYU. Yeah, thank you. Probably not going to be hearing them at the BYU Cougars games anytime soon, though. Yeah. But, yeah, I think you have to go to Dodger Stadium to hear all those good ones. <laughs> but, uh, Bryce, we really enjoyed having you on the show. We'll have to have you back again sometime when we talk you know, more about like soundtracks and movies. And we, we're going to be talking a lot about movies and music and you know, comedy and TV shows awesome. on the I'd, show. I'd be glad to come so, back. So, uh, yeah, thanks for your time. His name is Bryce Lake, and uh, he is in marketing in the athletic department here at Brigham Young University. And uh, he gets to play all the, the great songs that we hear at the football games and, and basketball games as well and we've enjoyed having him here on the show we'll take a quick break this is screen cleaning we'll be right back you can take byu radio with you wherever you go the byu radio app gives you access to stream live shows or listen to past episodes from the byu radio archive The app is free and you will be able to hear all of the Cougar sports and BYU radio shows you love right from your device. Just download the BYU radio app for iOS, Android, and Amazon mobile devices and start listening. With the app, you'll have BYU radio with you in the car, at work, or even on vacation. BYU radio. Talk about good. Cleared for takeoff. I'm Bob Carson with the Discovery Files from the National Science Foundation. You've done it. You made it through check-in and security and found the right gate. Finally boarding, you've stowed your carry-on. Seat back up, phone on airplane mode, you're ready to fly. Except for one thing. This is your captain. About 25 planes are in line ahead of us. Oh, boy. You are about to spend some time in that dreaded netherworld known as the tarmac. Now, the airline doesn't want your plane sitting there any more than you do. Idling, using up fuel, going nowhere. Engineers at MIT have developed a queuing model to minimize runway backup. It predicts how long a plane will have to wait between gate departure and takeoff. The model factors in real-time weather data and visibility, runway configurations, flight schedules, and other conditions. Controllers can use the predictions to adjust gate departures for the least amount of tarmac time. The researchers found that by encouraging air traffic controllers to hold flights back at certain times of the day, the model could decrease taxi time up to 20% and save up to 20 gallons of fuel per plane. Successfully tested at major airports, this model may be easily implemented into departure procedures, important since airport congestion is expected to increase in the coming years. I'm used to a different kind of runway model. The Discovery Files covers projects funded in part by the government's National Science Foundation. Learn more at nsf.gov. If you love stories like we love stories, tune in to The Appleseed, Tellers and Stories on BYU Radio, Monday through Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern. For a little of this... Now far below, there was only water. And the water creatures looked up as they swam 
and even a little of this. But I do not want a woman climbing up a ladder to rescue me from the sixth floor of a burning building. The Appleseed team brings you great stories from great tellers just about every day on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143. BYU Sports Nation guys, the BYU store isn't the best place for tossing the football. You're taking a nap? Seriously? Okay, you can find plenty of general interest and religious books and a wide selection of treats. I'll admit, the cougar wear looks great on Spencer. We are live in the BYU store. Now this is your best idea. The BYU store. Proud to sponsor BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio and BYU TV. Explore ways to read, write, see, speak, think, and listen with host Rachel Wadham on Worlds Awaiting. Catch new shows Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern or online at byuradio.org. Screen Cleaning proudly presents Jolly Good Shows, classic films that have stood the test of time and are now being inducted into Jeffrey Simpson's prestigious video library. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being and ideal grace. That, of course, is from Elizabeth Barrett Browning's Sonnet 43. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all too short a date. An excerpt from the Bard's Sonnet 18. Who among us has not attempted to give voice to the pinings of the heart? This month's selection for Jolly Good Shows, Wayne's World, centers on Wayne Campbell, a love-struck slacker who is in who in this scene, with the help of his faithful friend Garth Algar, attempts the seemingly impossible task of describing the beauty of Wayne's girlfriend using the most eloquent of words. She's a fox. In France, she would be called La Renard, and she would be hunted with only her cunning to protect her. She's a babe. She's a robo-babe. In Latin, she would be called Babia Majora. If she were a president, she'd be Abraham Lincoln. Did you ever find Bugs Bunny attractive when he'd put on a dress and play a girl bunny? No. (laughs) No. Neither did I. I was just asking. Mm. Poetry. Sheer poetry. Good show, old man. Jolly good show. We shall return in a month's time to reveal our next inductee into the archives of Jolly Good Shows. Well, you know, we we just have a few minutes here left. As you know, our mission on screen cleaning is to help you find the best entertainment around. And one way in which we do that is by shining a spotlight on a particular movie, actor, performer, or a story in a segment we're calling Panning for Good. There's good in them dire hills. 
When five Mormon missionaries returned from the Philippines, they were looking for a way to share their creative talents and stay connected with the country and the people they'd come to love. Their solution? They took to YouTube and created the Hey Joe Show. Hey Joe is apparently what little kids in the Philippines shout whenever they come in contact with a foreigner. So what's the Hey Joe Show all about? The Hey Joe Show is a comedy group. It's all family-friendly, clean, positive, pro-Philippines comedy. Our main objective is to inspire pride in the Filipino people. We're obsessed with the Philippines and the culture there. And it turns out they're quite the superstars in the Philippines. Their YouTube videos have millions of views. They've met and even danced with the president of the Philippines. How cool is that? And they have their own music video. So be sure to check out the Hey Joe Show channel on YouTube. Cole, these guys are actually BYU students. I think a couple of them just graduated, but uh, they're really super famous in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of them here on BYU's campus? I actually have because I have a roommate that was also in the Philippines doing the the mission trip gig Uh right around the same time they were. And so he... He showed them to me about a year ago when they were first getting going or right when it first started. And it's funny. It's good stuff. It helps if you know Tagalog. But yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's still funny to watch. Good for that. See, they have the type of fame that I would want. You know, like somebody in a, in a country far, far away would know who I was. But, you know, just here at home, nobody. No one would stop you, know? you on the street. It wouldn't be like that extra burden yeah, on you. That would be awesome. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the show. Our show today has had obviously a very musical theme to it. We sang in what the sh- or uh, what was going to be on the show. We played name that tune. We talked about music at sports games, and you know one of my favorite get pumped up songs uh, is you know it's going to sound familiar to anybody. Cole, can you can you uh, cue that up for us? It's just the last song on there. This is the song that gets a lot of people pumped up, and I remember putting it on a, you know, a Discman or a Discman and jogging around the track, trying not to skip the Discman as I'm running, and I, you know, around the first or second lap, I'm thinking, this is it. This music is going to put me over the edge. I'm going to start losing that weight, get in shape, and then, you know, maybe around lap three or four, the song is... uh, not really sounding as good to me and uh, my will to my willpower is starting to wane and uh, then it just becomes just a great song that is fun to listen to while I'm sitting on the couch watching Rocky instead of being inspired by Rocky oh boy one of these days one of these days this song is going to get me back up off the couch and uh, back into a, a size 30 waist I guess Anyway, that's our show for today. We hope you've enjoyed everything that we've had here on Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next Friday, 9 a.m. Mountain Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, to give you more ideas for quality entertainment that you can share with the entire family. Until next Friday, have fun at the movies, and we'll talk to you later.